This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. The program where we do what we can to give you the tools, the ideas, the insight, a deeper look at a healthier life. That is the goal of the program every day, bringing you experts, not just from Brigham Young University, but from really research uh, researchers from all over the country, all over the world, to help us live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. Welcome to the program, and happy Coast Guard Day. Finally... A day we're celebrating. No longer just talking about food days. Today is Coast Guard Day. It honors the courageous work of the Coast Guards. Uh, when Hurricane Katrina struck the Atlantic coast of America, the United States Coast Guardsmen saved over 33,500 lives. An estimated 24,000 of these were rescued from peril in severely dangerous conditions. The Coast Guard... Uh, Today, we're celebrating you. What a cool thing. That's a dangerous job, so they deserve yeah. that. Good job. And you know what? Nothing cooler than a guy hanging from a helicopter saving someone's life. I'm usually the one drowning. <laughs> so I, I would I can't even imagine it. going out there and, and doing what they do. We don't use the Coast Guard a lot in Utah. No, we not, don't. Not much of a coast here. Yeah, I don't think there's Coast Guard for lakes. Are I don't there? think there is. Yeah, no. I think they'd be called lake guards. Lake guards. <laughs> I don't know. That sounds about right. They're Lake Powell, you know, we yeah. could use some of that. Lake Powell, we probably could. Hey, uh, also, this just in, um, apparently, faking pregnancy is not just something humans do. Hmm. Can you believe this? No. The panda, Taiwan's panda, Yuan Yuan, that's, you're supposed to say, hmm? Yuan Yuan. <laughs> hmm? Believed to be faking pregnancy so that she could get better snacks in an air-conditioned room. Boy, they're smarter than I Those, thought. I know. Never trust a panda. <laughs> the 11-year-old giant panda was uh, was in June apparently showing signs that she may be in with the fa- in the family way, air quotes. Determining if the panda is pregnant can be a difficult thing, but one sign, a loss of appetite, was being shown by Yuan Yuan. Why do you laugh every time I say that? I'm not that? sure. Are you pronouncing that right? Oh, yeah, it is. Okay. I, I know. Okay, you I, got I, it. Yeah. Perfect. I'm fluent. Um, but what they found is that uh, they, so they thought she might be. So they moved her to a single air-conditioned room with round-the-clock care and as much bamboo and cake as she'd like to eat. Mm. Unsurprisingly, it was reported that Yuan Yuan loved her new living arrangements. <laughs> but after living the life of luxury for a month, zookeepers uh, tested her and found out that she was not pregnant. She's just faking it. Trying to land some other panda and get him to marry you her. You know, I remember doing that several times, faking pregnancy so my husband could rub my feet. Is that and, it? You know, yeah. Oh, yeah. and you could eat bamboo? Right. And all the yeah, cake. No. It was cake. It was cake. No, my uh, my craving when I was really pregnant was, um, uh, oh, what's that Italian restaurant, you know, that had the breadsticks, the really oh, good breadsticks? Uh, uh, Olive, Olive Garden. Garden. Yeah. I craved their salad. Did you really? I have no idea why. I think it was the the, the uh, you needed the, the acid. dressing. Yeah, yeah, it was. And mm-hmm. then after a while, about four months in, just the thought of that made me very sick. So you know what I, I craved during all six of my pregnancies? <laughs> Ice cream. Uh, no, Cinnabon. Cinnabon. Oh. I craved that all the time. I do so. too. Right now, just thinking about it, I'm craving it. <laughs> mm. It's your morning hunger. That uh, 
But see, the, supposedly the cravings are to get you the chemistry, the chemicals you need, mm-hmm. like pickles. Uh, pickles, definitely. That's so salt. there's something about the, that the salt. salt. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But then later on, it just sounded horrible. Well, like Cinnabon, I think, is the craving. Your body, your body needs a healthy dose, dose of cinnamon. Always. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you got to be cinnamon balanced. Isn't that when you go through the airport, what do you smell? Cinnabon. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I, that's why I love the airport. <laughs> so you just go there just to get the I just go there the just to get Cinnabon. <laughs> I don't even have a flight today. Just the Cinnabon, please. But I bought a ticket to get it past security. Uh. <laughs> hey, let's go to headlines. Find out what Kathy has for us. Uh, good morning, everyone. The GOP effort to defund Planned Parenthood was stopped by Senate Democrats yesterday. The vote, which was mostly along party lines, failed 53 to 46, seven votes shy of the 60 needed to advance. The measure was in response to undercover videos showing Planned Parenthood officials discussing the sale of fetal tissue to researchers. Republicans in the House and Senate say they'll oppose any spending bills that includes federal funding for the organization next year. The GOP presidential debate is two days away, but yesterday 14 Republican hopefuls took part in the Voters First Presidential Forum. There they shared ideas on immigration, terrorism, and uniting the country. Donald Trump and Mike Huckabee did not participate. The deadline to qualify for the Fox News debate is 5 p.m. Eastern Time Thursday, and the average of the five most recent polls will determine the top 10 contenders who can participate. Meanwhile, a new Fox News poll shows Donald Trump way ahead with 26 percent of the GOP primary vote, followed by Jeb Bush at 15 percent and Scott Walker six points behind. Former President Jimmy Carter had a small mass removed from his liver yesterday. The procedure was reportedly a success, and Mr. Carter, who is now 90 years old, is expected to make a full recovery. A father and daughter are dead, and up to 22 more were injured after a circus tent collapsed in New Hampshire last night. Severe weather was the cause of the accident, which was 90 miles north of Concord. Officials say the National Weather Service issued a severe thunderstorm warning about 20 minutes before the event, though it's unknown whether or not the spectators were aware of that warning. The man accused of killing a Memphis police officer turned himself in yesterday. 29-year-old Tremaine Wilborn was accompanied by an attorney and is expected to be arraigned today on first-degree murder charges. 33-year-old officer Sean Bolton was shot when he approached the car Wilborn was a passenger in. Officials say the officer interrupted a drug deal involving marijuana. Wilborn was on federal probation at the time of the shooting. The massive Rocky Fire in Northern California has now burned over 62,000 acres while destroying 24 homes. The massive blaze is just one of more than a dozen wildfires in the West and is currently just 12% contained. Thousands of people have been forced to evacuate the area. Meanwhile, Air Force reserves have been called in to help battle the blaze. After the outrage of the killing of Cecil the Lion last month, several major airlines announced they'll no longer transport big-game trophies. American, United, and Delta Airlines say they'll stop allowing lion, leopard, elephant, rhinoceros, and buffalo trophies aboard their flights. As recently as May, they did accept the shipments as long as they were legal. And Matt, how much would a trip to the moon cost you back 46 years ago? Wow. 46 years ago, I'm going to go with $100 million. (laughs) Well, let me put it better this way. Buzz Aldrin, obviously back in July of 1969, was on board Apollo 11, which became the first lunar landing mission. And recently, Aldrin showed his travel voucher for reimbursement, (laughs) $33.31. 
<laughs> Amazing. His customs form showed he brought back samples of moon rock and moon dust. And, you know, I didn't know you had to pass through customs on the way back to Earth. But I guess if you have to do that to Mexico, you might as well do it But you know what? Moon, so right? isn't that presumptuous of us? Like, we've got to have you. You've been to the moon. Now, yes. now you have to go through U.S. customs. customs yes. Can we I have mean, your form, please? What yeah. do you have with you? Uh, just some moon rock and some moon dust. Thank Excuse you. me. Are these like so when so when aliens from Mars come? They're going to have to pass through customs, yep. mm-hmm. turn in all of their like laser tasers mm-hmm. things, and the and the um, uh, the crabs they found from yeah. Mars. Uh-huh. The crabs have from to Mars. Show that. Excuse me, is this fruit from Pluto? <laughs> uh, sorry, we can't have fruit from yeah. outside no the good. United yeah. States. Yeah. I would love to see uh, TSA searching a bunch of Martians <laughs> from Mars. I'd pay money for that. Yes. I'd pay hundreds of dollars to see that. You'd pay $33.31. Isn't that amazing? That? That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, not bad. I'd, I'd pay thirty-three, thirty-one. Oh, yeah. I mean, what have what have we done with our lives? Not much. We made it here today. We Half did. Half the battle. And Dude. without rain and without hydroplaning today, which yeah, is good. that Dry was kind of boring. Today. Yeah. It was a boring drive today. It was a boring today. drive. <laughs> I, want, I want more fun. I'm noticing that uh, the week gets harder every day. It gets – I'm more tired. When your alarm goes off at 440, you're thinking – Is that normal? I hope I get fired today. Yeah, seriously. Like <laughs> if I seriously go off here, then I could sleep in tomorrow. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Anyway, we'll make it through another week. I know we will. Thanks, Kathy. Well done. Hey, uh, with the debate coming up, again, some of you just don't like politics. I get that. I get that. Um, we're going to try to see if we can't make it more easier, more exciting, more interesting for you because it's not – you know, it's it's not a blood sport, but it could be. It totally could be. We are going to be bringing in Dr. Michael Barber here um, from Brigham Young University School of uh, Department of Political Science. He's going to be walking us through the debate, what we should be looking for, the ins, the outs, the ups, the downs, what really matters, uh, what makes a good debate, and uh, who's got the most to win, who's got the most to lose. We'll be talking with BYU's political science uh, professors, Michael Barber, up next, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Again, you know, it's early. It's early in the uh, primary season, and many of you just don't care. You just don't care about politics right now. You know, let's just get through summer. Let's just make sure we got the tan going on. And I'm with you. I'm with you. We can. It, there's a ton of overkill, but uh, there's something fun about being, I think, involved in some way in the process so we wanted to uh, bring along an expert that can help us. There's going to be the first of 11 planned Republican debates is scheduled for this Thursday in Cleveland, Ohio. Ten of the 17 Republican candidates will be participating today. Uh, what they do is they're using polls, five, the top five polls. And by five o'clock today, they've got to decide uh, who's going to make up that first group of 10 participants, the top 10 in the polls They will then get some prime time, debate time, to be in front of the world and show their goods. Uh, By the way, apparently the other seven 
the uh, the second group, we call it the child's table, the kids' table at Thanksgiving feast. Uh, they will still get some time, just not uh, prime time, I guess. It'll be a little earlier on Thursday. They'll have their own debate as well. So um, joining us right now to talk about it. Dr. Michael Barber is the assistant professor of uh, Department of Political Science here at BYU. He earned his Ph.D. in politics from Princeton University and is here to enlighten us on the debate. Thank you, Dr. Barber, for being here. Uh, Glad to be here. Are you excited for this debate? I mean, as an academic, are you just chomping at the bit? Uh, You know, I'm... I'm excited because it's something that I study and I think it's fun to watch yeah. and kind of read uh, read about, but it is really early. It's <laughs> we're, so early. We are, uh, we're about six months away from the first primary taking place in Iowa, uh, and so I don't think many people are thinking about politics right yeah. now. And even among political scientists, we're not uh, we're not thinking much about the presidential election at this point. Does the history matter? Like, what normally happens is is a leader it six months before the first primary election. Does any of that matter? No, uh, it doesn't matter at all. Actually, so people have looked at the relationship between polls this far out from yeah. the the nomination. And whether or not those polls are any good at predicting who actually wins the nomination. And what we have found is that basically there is no relation. So <laughs> really. uh, the, whoever is leading the polls right now uh, could very well be at the bottom of the pack by the time the nominations actually decided. And I, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that were the case. Right now, Donald Trump uh, seems to be coming out on top. Yeah. In nearly every poll that's being conducted. Like up by 11, 12 points. Yeah. What is that about? That That's a really good question. <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of people think that this is, uh, this is voters kind of casting a, casting a vote in a poll uh, as someone as an act of protest, mm-hmm. more or less saying, you know, I don't, I'm just sick of politics. I don't really like what I'm being offered. This guy's weird. He's different. He says what he's... He says what he's thinking, and often that offends a lot of people. Yeah. And takes on um, the media, takes on Washington. He's controversial, and I think a lot of people say, "Oh, you know, yeah, let's go yeah. with him right now." Right? Yeah. But Why I think, not? Yeah. When it when it actually comes down to the the more serious business of choosing the nominee. Uh, I don't think people will make the the, the same sort of calculation in, in I mean, choosing Donald Trump. It's really 50 percent. So let's say 50 percent are conservative, 50 percent are uh, liberal, let's just say. OK. 20. So he's really uh, of the 50 percent. He's got a certain 25 percent of the 50 percent love Donald Trump. Uh, it's even smaller than Is that. Is it smaller? Oh, than yeah, that? definitely. So. The you know if if we go with the assumption that fifty percent of the the country will eventually vote for the Republican Party and it will be somewhere close to near that, that yeah uh, the the percentage of those fifty percent that will actually vote in a primary election that's true <laughs> is going to be even smaller uh, half some yeah sometimes you know high. Double di- or low double digits, so really? 15, 16 percent, that sort of thing. So out of the 15 percent that actually vote, he <laughs> yes. might pull 25 percent. At the moment, yes. Yeah, right he's, now. He's polling about 25 That's why this is such a weird illusion because everyone's like, oh, yeah, Trump's killing it. <laughs> well, he's killing it in a really weird way. 
Yeah, you know, in his own unique way. <laughs> As only Trump can do it. it. Really, So really all the polls matter now is to just see who gets to be on stage at a Fox debate. Right. That's really the the kind of what the polls are doing at the moment is determining who's going to be involved in this debate on Thursday. Do, do you think they handled that appropriately? I mean, is is this the way you choose who's on the stage is the top five polls? Well, you know – that's a it's a hard question. We've discussed this. Um, me and several colleagues have had conversations just in the hallway, thinking, you know, how would we how would we um, organize yeah. this? And it's hard because you've got seventeen people. <laughs> uh, just the physical space alone. How do you, where do you put seventeen people right. and fit them all on a television? And what would that sound um, like with fifteen, seventeen people debating? Right, you get maybe two minutes uh-huh. each. Um, it's like a high school battle of the bands. <laughs> you know what I mean? And there's just a lot of people that have signed up, but at some point. We can't have everybody play. Yeah, yeah. And so whether you go with some sort of, uh, you know, round robin system or we we randomly pick people <laughs> and we shuffle them on and off the stage, something like I think like a that. leg wrestle. If they had everyone <laughs> leg wrestle. Oh, except Carly. Maybe Carly's good at leg wrestling. It's, but there's got to be some random way to do it. Is Is it appropriate that we turn it over to the media to make the decision? Or who made the decision? Was it the GOP that made the decision or was it Fox News? No, I think as as far as I understand, Fox News is the one that is making the decision as to who gets on the stage and who doesn't. Uh, And that's a point of frustration for a lot of candidates is that we – or the the parties often kind of delegate the responsibility of running these debates to – uh, the different media outlets, right. and often the interests of the media don't off, uh, align perfectly with the interests of the party. And many of the candidates in the last cycle uh, were frustrated with some of the questions that the moderators asked them. That's right. Some and of the topics. Mitt Romney, I mean, there was some – one of the questioners basically defended a policy and there was a mistake made. There, and- yeah, there was a – there was yeah. that moment where there was the uh, the moderator kind of interjected uh-huh. uh, into what right into what Obama and uh, Romney were discussing, and uh, and many Republicans felt as though that was uh, not the place of the moderator at right. the time. In, I mean, the, the debate should be a debate. Yeah, we're probably not going to see a debate on Thursday. No. Yeah, uh, we're, we're just going to see a question. Do, do you think they're all going to direct everything to Trump? I mean, it seems like. If you're from about fifth down to seventeenth, you gotta do something to get somewhere here. Yeah, <laughs> you're you're basically trying to to draw attention to um, to you and your candidacy, and the the way that you do that is by doing attention getting things. So <laughs> you're gonna see people saying. Uh, you know, try, testing out some some kind of new lines, and it'll it'll appear pretty scripted, yeah, because uh, they're scripting many of these lines beforehand. Um, you know, I'm I'm not sure how much of it will be a kind of direct attack at Trump himself. Um, I know part of the rules are that if you address another candidate on the stage, then after you're done speaking, that candidate gets a chance to respond, mm. and so. Uh, that what might you, not be smart. Right. What you might see are a lot of kind of veiled uh, attacks at other candidates without actually mentioning their name hmm. uh, so that you don't then give them the opportunity to respond. Is that, what would you recommend? So if you were advising some of these candidates, 
what would you recommend that they do to differentiate other than like call for a duel? <laughs> you know, the unfortunate thing is that I'd probably recommend what I don't think is best for the country, which is just be crazy, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think part of the reason that Donald Trump is polling so high is that he is saying a lot of really controversial and crazy things. <laughs> Just get it out there. Uh, and that, uh, you know, the media want to cover things that uh, are going to bring bring viewers and those are controversial and crazy things. Uh, yeah. And so part of this is a kind of vicious cycle in that a candidate says something somewhat wacky. The media cover that uh, that response or that action, and then that draws more attention to the candidate, who then says more wacky things, mm-hmm. which draws more media attention. And you kind of get stuck in this cycle where uh, we start focusing on these candidates that are saying some uh, some kind of crazy Isn't things. That, it's just oh, it's just exhausting. But <laughs> I, I mean, in reality, this is I guess politics. And seventeen candidates are in. One jumped in at the very end. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember his name. You know, there are so many of them. I I struggle to keep them all but straight. But <laughs> So so this is what is interesting to me. Governor Perry of Texas, I guess ex-governor. I think he's done being governor, isn't he? Or yeah, is he he's still not, current? He's so no longer the governor. you have you have a, a past governor of Texas that isn't in Go- Governor Jindal that's not in a sitting senator Lindsey Graham that's not in Carly Fiorina the Fiorino Fiorina the only female in the race. They aren't in. They're not even going to be in the top ten. They're going to be on the. What we call the the junior at, at the kid at the, at the kids, kids table. table, yeah. But um, we'll take a break, and when we come back, I want to know: there is there an advantage to being at the kids table? Seven candidates that might get more airtime, more play, more everything than being at the big boy table. Um, and do we have the right people in the game? You know what I mean? <laughs> it just seems like I mean, Governor Pataki won't be in. Yeah, uh, there's just a lot of people that are seemingly big players that aren't even sitting at the big table. We'll find out more with Dr. Michael Barber here from the BYU's Department of Political Science. We're talking about the upcoming debate this Thursday, the GOP debate. Uh, you know, is it going to be a smackdown, kind of an MMA fighting type of thing, or is it going to be really dignified, you know, as it should be with a lot of decorum and professionalism? I'm going with a smackdown myself. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us, Dr. Michael Barber, uh, Assistant Professor at BYU Department of Political Science. He's here today to help us uh, preview, kind of break down the primary debate that's going on this Thursday on Fox News. You know, we have a big table, 10 candidates from the GOP will be on primetime on Fox earlier in the day, 5 p.m., I guess, Eastern time, the remaining seven candidates will, they'll be going on first to uh, to show their goods. 
But uh, Michael's here today to help us kind of walk through it all. When, when I think about this, Michael, ah, it's, it, A, it is exhausting. But a lot of this is, the, the, I guess the nation's going to be listening, but in reality, none of this matters because they all have to go do the caucus in Iowa in January, I guess. Is that when it is? Uh, it's in the, I, I think it's the first week in February. Is it February? Okay. Yeah. So do, who, are these, who are these candidates playing to? Iowa or New Hampshire or to the entire country? Well, they're, they're kind of trying to thread the needle and appeal to all of them. So wow. they are, um, you know, they're going to spend a lot of time in Iowa and they already have spent a lot of time in Iowa and they're going to spend a lot of time in New Hampshire. Uh, and that's... Not because the state of Iowa is particularly great in the summer, uh, yeah. <laughs> but but because Iowa happens to have the the first um, primary contest and then quickly followed by New Hampshire, uh, and so those two states tend to take a kind of outsized role in the nominations uh, process that we like have. disproportionate to the rest of the country. Oh yeah, I mean there's... Iowa's got major power to but, but the interesting thing about Iowa is isn't it a more conservative uh constituency? Yeah, Iowa is definitely a not representative of the entire country. Right. Uh and so you get candidates uh taking positions and arguing for policies that appeal to a really particular segment of the electorate, namely uh people who live in Iowa. Hmm. Uh and so as a result, you get uh, lots of support for, uh, you know, corn subsidies, yeah. ethanol, things like that. Well, that, is is that why people like Walker, Huckabee, Carson, Cruz, Rubio, Paul are all in the top ten because they've all been they've all been out there, but they've all been out there in Iowa. It seems like in it seems like things might be different if if it were in New Hampshire. It might be a more you might get maybe more of the more moderate Republican getting better poll or traction in New Hampshire and more conservative Republicans getting more poll in Iowa. Yeah, that's definitely the case um, that, I, you know, Iowa and New Hampshire are, are very different from one another. And, and you'll have candidates that will sometimes take a kind of deliberate strategy of not really competing in Iowa yeah. and, and saying we're – we're going to focus our attentions on New Hampshire. Like a Kasich came in, and he's pretty much going strong just in I in New Hampshire, I believe. Uh, yeah, and that could be the case because he's he's a. I mean, he's still conservative. Yeah. He's a conservative Republican. He's just not extremely conservative um, as many of these other candidates are, and so he'll probably perform better in New Hampshire than he would in Iowa. And so I think that's probably a deliberate strategy by many candidates to rather than compete in Iowa and do poorly to say, oh, well, we were never really Mm -hmm. trying to do well in Iowa. We're focusing all of our attention on New Hampshire. And so when you then don't perform well in Iowa, you say, well, that was a deliberate strategy. That's not a reflection (laughs) of my poor performance. Because you've got to go to win Iowa because it's a caucus that you you have to go to like 99 precincts or whatever. And every precinct has a vote. Yeah. So there are 99 counties Counties, in Iowa and and candidates often make uh, kind of big show of visiting all 99 of them. before. Which is why you could go in like Walker is on a bus. Right. And make some serious noise by making sure you hit all 99. Yeah. A lot of candidates will do that. And win it one by one. And But then 
you still may not have the money. You still may not have the following. You still may not have all the backers to go national. So you could uh, win Iowa and not be a great national that, candidate. That's definitely the case. <laughs> um, that And that's happened in the past. Uh, it's not in any way a, a strong indicator of who will eventually win the nomination um, for many of the reasons that we just talked about, that Iowa's not the rest of the country. <laughs> Why? It seems now, again, you're the professional. Dr. Michael Barber, <laughs> you're the professional. I'm not the professional. Why don't we have a better system? Like, it seems like a better system would be a national primary. Yeah. Where you can get. So we have to basically, because it seems like you could nominate a fairly conservative person because they did well in Iowa. They somehow managed to get through New Hampshire. They got down and they they got pretty far along simply because of such good press, but they're not a good national candidate. They don't play well because it seems like you have to almost move really far to the right in the Republican world and far to the left in the Democrat world just to get elected. And then we come back and fight in the middle, and then we call everybody flip floppers. Right, right. Is there not a better system now? We, it, oh, there's definitely okay, a better so system. So fix it, fix oh. it, Mike. <laughs> uh, that's way above my pay grade. But um, you know, we have the system. We have more or less as a kind of fluke or a accident of history. Yeah. Uh, and changing it is hard, more or less, because there are particular groups that are very interested in maintaining the status quo. Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, these early states are not at all interested in changing because they uh, they get a lot more attention than they would in a national primary. If we had some sort of national primary where, you know, on one day all Republicans went and voted for their nominee or all Democrats went and voted for their nominee all throughout the country, um, there have been suggestions of moving to a system like that or moving to a system where we divide the country up into like four regions and we right. have a regional primary every week and then we rotate which region gets yeah. to have the kind of first primary, that sort of thing. Uh, but there's really a, a kind of big bias towards the status quo and kind of keeping with what's uh, – what we have and what's been more or less working for so many years. Yeah, so we're not going to change that is what you're saying. I, I Even if I complain about it. <laughs> I don't see it happening anytime <laughs> soon. Blast it. <laughs> um, so what did, – did you hear what Trump said? Um, we got to talk about I, this. I'm sure you did. I, because, I guess I would say which Yeah, thing, which, which yeah. thing. Donald uh, says he doesn't think that he can artificially prepare. He doesn't – he just wants to be who he is. He doesn't think that you can go in and artificially prepare for a debate. He says, I know the issues. I've read the issues. I'm up on the issues. I'm just going to go be Donald. Well, that seems to be working well for him thus far. Um, I, I imagine that despite what he said, he is probably doing some preparation yeah. for this uh, for this Thursday. But, you know, his brand is kind of him being himself and saying – Somewhat inflammatory things mm-hmm. here and there, uh, peppered with uh, insults and, yeah. other, and then other sorts of digs toward <laughs> toward other candidates and other groups of people. Um, and then a really strong statement that he's rich. And then, right, comments about <laughs> how much money he has. Um, so, yeah, I don't know that he's going to have to prepare much to uh, continue to, but, to but say if those he, things. If he just comes out with some plan with – so instead of just a great, grandiose statement – 
And then, but instead, like this is how I would do it. If he just did that three times in the debate, it seems like it would shut up a lot of people because everyone keeps saying Donald's great, whatever, but he doesn't have a plan. So I'm thinking every one of these candidates are going to throw out, give me the details, give me the details, give me the facts, give me the. I don't anticipate any details. You don't know because is it that nobody wants to give details yet? Well, no one wants to give details. The moment you give details uh, is the moment that you open yourself up to criticism and scrutiny of those details. That's right. Yeah. Uh, And so candidates will wait as long as humanly possible before describing some even wait sort after of, they've been elected. Yes, some might say, you know, oh well, I'll give you the details after I become president. <laughs> um, but even beyond that, I don't, I don't know that Donald Trump is going to ever uh, kind of give us any sort of governing uh, details of his go- his plan of government because right. I don't think that he. Uh, is ever really going to be close to getting the nomination? Well, what do you, what? Do you, yeah, you're you're convinced he's just not. He just can't go that far. No, he he won't. Who who has the most to win? Like who? This debate is going to 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 be. Um, who, who has the most? It doesn't seem the, like a number twelfth person is going to turn everything around with this debate. But maybe the fourth person could. Yeah. So these debates, um, basically what what you see is that the candidates that are doing well uh, are always in favor of fewer debates. And the right. candidates that aren't polling well are always in favor of more debates because uh, debates are opportunities to uh, kind of upend the system. So if you remember four years ago, uh, we had a debate going on and Governor Perry was running. Right. Uh, and – and people thought he was a very serious candidate and that he had a good chance of securing the nomination. And then he had a, a terrible moment where he forgot part of his <laughs> he governing He had a three-point plan, plan yeah, or whatever and couldn't remember. He could only remember two of those three and he ended up saying, uh, oops, yeah. on, on the air. And oh, that, that, was that was pretty devastating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you know that can, that can kind of sink uh, a leading candidate's chances and there can be – a candidate that people haven't paid much attention to that can have a, a kind of a spark at a debate and that draws some media attention towards them. And and with the media paying more attention to them, they're able to kind of reach more potential voters. And so these, these uh, kind of lower tier candidates are definitely going to be in favor of having more debates. Do you, do you sense that's an advantage? Is it an advantage for the GOP, for example, to have 17 17- candidates that then are going to be sparring through 11 debates. Is that a better deal for them than, say, a, a Hillary Clinton that's maybe got one or two maybe running against her? Yeah, well... And in, fewer in, possible debates. You know, in, in my opinion, I think debates are good because it forces the candidates to, to some degree, actually talk about the policies that they would implement yeah. if they were elected. And so I think it's good for democracy to to have candidates actually talk about what they would do if elected and then to kind of debate and uh, deliberate over those policies and and to decide as a country whether or not we think those policies are what's best for the country. Uh, So in that way, I think, yeah, debates are great. Uh, I think candidates probably don't think yeah, they probably don't as, want it as right? great because then it forces them to to take specifics and to take positions and you want to be as vague as possible for as long as possible. So, uh, you know, there are differing interests in in how much we debate or how many debates we have. 
Is is there anybody that you think has the advantage to on Thursday night? Let's just say from the top ten, mm-hmm. who who do you see? You know, has a pretty good advantage to just if they can just come out, look solid, not embarrassed, not right, not pull a parry. Uh, who has an advantage? Well, I think that what what we really have are we have. I, I, it, it's my estimation that we have about three candidates that are really the three candidates that are running for the nomination. And so I think Jeb Bush, uh, Scott Walker from Wisconsin, and um, and I'm blanking on the – oh, Marco Rubio. Marco sorry. Rubio. Marco Rubio from Florida. Those in my estimation are the three candidates that are – the actual the actual candidates and these it's it, it's likely that the nominee is going to be one of those three. Hmm. Uh, they have um, they have previous governing experience um, in in political science. We often refer to something called the invisible primary, which is kind of how do you as a candidate get the support of party leaders, the money, uh, the money, right? Donors, uh, the support of current elected officials. Uh, the kind of infrastructure of the various state parties right. and that sort of thing. Uh, and that all happens kind of behind the scenes. You don't see that in the debates and that sort of thing. But uh, Jeb Bush and Scott Walker and Marco Rubio, they're really kind of winning this invisible primary, you might say. Uh, they seem to have the most appeal among the kind of Republicans that are currently in office, that yeah. sort of thing. So if they go to the debate... Don't forget, you know, don't make a huge mistake, forget their lines, that sort of thing. I think they'll come out looking pretty good. Uh, And then, you know, maybe one or two of these candidates that aren't polling particularly well uh, but have, you know, have the credibility or the experience that they could legitimately be considered as a candidate for the nomination, you know, maybe a Tom Kasich or something like that, Mm. that they might, uh, you know, they might suddenly – appeal to people and the media might pick up on them and it might end up being good for them. And I guess, I mean, the, the interesting thing, so Jeb Bush is down like 11, 12 points, uh, 11 points to Trump, but he's up. I mean, even though Trump's a, a billionaire, right. I mean, we all know that. Yes. Yes. He's um, sold us. <laughs> uh, but Bush, Bush probably has a lot of the establishment behind him and he has that hidden group, but he also has the money. He has the a lot of money. He's fundraised a lot of money. He's fundraised several million dollars. Does that money ever swing? Because that's one of the things that's going on on the Democratic side is everyone saying, you know, he'll, Biden can get in the race all he wants, but all the money's pretty much already tagged yeah. down by Clinton. Uh, well, I mean, does it swing? I mean, if Hillary blew it and had a major, you know, problem arise, the money would swing. Yeah, that's true. I mean, donors are free to kind of withdraw their support if they want to. Um, if but, you if you lock up their money in terms of the the hard money that they're allowed to give directly to the candidate, if they've already maxed the amount maxed out the amount of money that they can give, then they can't give to anyone else. Hmm. But in the presidential race, a lot more money is going into these the PACs, outside yeah. super PAC organizations. Uh, and in that case, there's no limit to the amount that a person can give. So, yeah, I suppose that if a candidate kind of imploded, uh, then donors could quickly turn and find a different place to put their money. Woo! That's so good because I've given all my money to no. – <laughs> I am not giving my money 
right now to anybody. Um, as we wrap this up, again, we're speaking with Dr. Michael Barber. Uh, what, what should we – this isn't – if you're already frustrated by watching all of this and by what Trump's calling everybody and, and just certain contention that arises because of politics, what should just the average person do to, to make this an interesting experiment this Thursday? How should we go about watching it, looking at it, and and not hate it, but not yeah. if we don't want to get too involved in it, not get too sucked in? Well, if you're not particularly interested in politics, I I don't think you should feel as though you're shirking your duty as a citizen by not watching. So you could go watch The Bachelor. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I, or whatever. I, whatever's on. I <laughs> I don't know. If that's on right now, but you might find more entertainment in watching The Bachelor <laughs> Anything than, else. than the debate. Um, yeah, the real serious business of the nomination isn't going to take place until closer to the end of the year and at the very beginning of next year. Uh, so, you know, if you're watching the debate this Thursday, it's it's going to be more, I think, for entertainment value than for anything. <laughs> and it's just to see who gets fired. That could be. Maybe he Trump will. Might yeah, be firing he people. might. He might try to fire someone on the stage. You never know. That's amazing. Well, we appreciate you, Doctor Michael Barber. I want to have you back, Michael, to talk about some of your work on causes and consequences of political polarization. Yeah, because be that's huge. That's a big deal going on right now. So, uh, Doctor Michael Barber, appreciate you again from the Department of Political Science here at Brigham Young University, and he does. He's given us permission to watch something else. If you're not interested, go ahead, watch something else. The Bachelor, if it's on. If it's not on, you know, there's always, you know, Nickelodeon. There's always cartoons. That's where Ben always goes. Good stuff. Good stuff. We'll take a break, folks. Come back. uh, Wrap this uh, first hour up. You won't believe it, uh, but uh, apparently Trump's cell phone number is leaked out. So all is well. If you want to call Donald and find out what he's going to talk about at the debate, His number's out and about. We'll be talking about that in a minute. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. You know, for me, this is fun because um, I, I love politics, but I'm, I've also become quite cynical about the whole process. Republican, Democrat, you name it. Uh, in fact, I'm convinced I'm now probably an independent and, you know, wholeheartedly. In fact, my kids are always asking me, like, Dad, what are we? <laughs> I'm like, well, what are we? What are you? You're going to have to figure out what you are. And... Um, you know, so for me, this is fun simply because these guys are just human. These guys and gals are just humans trying to run for office. And there's a lot of rhetoric. There's just a lot of divisive uh, language being used. But if you remember, Donald Trump threw Lindsey Graham under the bus by posting in a and talking about his cell phone number and basically doxing him, we call that. And, and throwing out private information and making it public. Well, apparently, Gawker magazine uh, at gawker.com has done the same thing to the Trumpster. They have now thrown out his cell phone. And, you know, so you can now call him. I won't give you the number because I'm not going to dox anyone. But, um, you know, 
Now they're doing the same thing to the Donald, and now Donald's going to have to go get a new cell phone, and maybe he's going to want to make a viral video like Lindsey Graham did. But one of the things that the Gawker did is they also made a list of things you might want to ask Donald Trump when you do call. And I won't get into all of them because a lot of them are just bad. But one of them is, does he still think Mexicans are out to rape you? Which goes all the way back to one of his first comments about Mexicans. And so this is the interesting thing about this. I think in the old days you could have a debate and it wouldn't always get uh, videotaped and recorded and then played on primetime and then thrown on the Internet where anyone can find it forever. We live in a different world where our words matter and, uh, you know, the information is readily accessible to everyone. So one of the reasons why this might be more intense and more frustrating and more expensive for everyone is because we live in a day and age where we can influence people so many different ways. So just know that. Uh, I, you know, there's karma, I guess. And you post somebody's number, you're going to have yours posted and it's going to eventually bite you. Anyway, our number one, folks, in the can. Well, let's just get involved as much as you want to, as much as you can. Be a, be a, be a deal maker instead of just, you know, somebody that is frustrated. We'll be back next hour. We'll be talking about can you detect a liar? Interesting stuff. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we do what we can to give you the tools the insight, what you need to have a healthier, happier life today, no exception. Oh, have we got a great topic for you today. Have you ever felt like somebody was lying to you? Like, you know, uh, have you ever seen that great YouTube viral uh, video of the little kid with um, like sparkles all over his face? Because he was not sparkles, like they're on donuts. Sprinkles. And the kids got sprinkles all over his face. And the mom's like, did you eat any of sprinkles? Did you eat sprinkles? And he's like, no, mom. He's still got sprinkles falling off his lip. Did you, come on, did you eat any? Wouldn't it be great if you could tell a liar that easily? If you could just see, oh, they're lying. They're lying. Like, I'm looking for a car. And the only reason I like looking for a car right now, because I really don't like looking for a car, is because Kathy's son's helping me get the car. And I trust him. I trust he's him. He's very honest, yes. He's bro- his, his Brock, and he's a stud, and he's gorgeous. He reminds me of myself when I was a boy. <laughs> Why are you laughing? When you were a boy. That is such a rude He's not thing. a boy. I've, I've, I may have found a wife for him. I'm hoping, yes. After oh. three boys, I need a girl. I need a daughter You would love this girl. Good. I'm here. Good. I'm changing the world one marriage at a time. Perfect. And I've got another one, too, that oh, I yeah. need to show no, you. No, we'll yes. hook him up. Okay, I've got, great. I know a ton of people. Great. And a few of them, they all think, like, I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So they're like, he could find me a husband. (laughs) We're praying you're the answer, Matt. We'll get it. We'll get it. But then he's like, I'm like, what's the deal, Brock? Why why do you struggle with that? And he's like, well, I'm very picky. Very picky. So we may need to back that down. Yes, I know. 
Could you I, help I, with that as well, Yeah, please? if you gave me a killer deal on a car, I could pretty much ensure that we could <laughs> get him married. Great. It might be in Vegas, but we'd get the guy married one way or another. Uh, today we're going to be talking with Dr. Gregory Jantz about lying and basically six ways to detect a liar in 10 seconds. I need this so bad because every time Ben's got another reason for why he's doing what he's doing. And half of them, I can't believe. He's always got sprinkles on his face. You could tell? Yeah. So now I'm going to know if you're lying. One of them, I'm sure, is if you're all shifty. Like you've just been shift, like you're shifting. Yeah. I'm watching you, man. I'm watching you. We're going to give you the skills so you can become your own lie detector. Now, is that good or bad? I don't know. I mean, you got to be careful. Don't just go accusing everybody that they're lying. But, man, what if we could read people? We could read our politicians better. We would know if Deflategate was real. Is, is Tom Brady just a victim? Or did he really conspire to deflate footballs? You're going to get the skills in just a few minutes. But before we do that, let's go to the person that never lies, has never, never lied in never. her life. Kathy Aiken with the headlines. Thank you, Matt. The manhunt for a Memphis cop killer is over. 29-year-old Tremaine Wilborn turned himself in yesterday and is expected to be arraigned on first-degree murder charges sometime today. 33-year-old Officer Sean Bolton was shot when he approached the car Wilborn was a passenger in and reportedly interrupted a drug deal. Memphis Police Director Tony Armstrong talked about the loss of Officer Bolton. As a community, we, we say so often there's a theme that do black lives matter. And at the end of the day, we have to ask ourselves, do all lives matter? Regardless of race, creed, color, economic status, what profession that person holds, all lives matter. Wilborn was on federal probation at the time of the shooting. GOP efforts to defund Planned Parenthood failed yesterday in the Senate. The vote was 53 to 46 and was seven votes short, mostly along party lines. The measure was in response to undercover videos showing Planned Parenthood officials discussing the sale of fetal tissue to researchers. Republicans in the House and Senate say they'll oppose any spending bills that include federal funding for the organization next year. The GOP presidential debate is just two days away and the deadline to qualify for the Fox News debate is 5 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday. The average of the five most recent polls will determine the top 10 contenders who can participate. Rick Santorum, one of the GOP hopefuls, says everyone should be heard. I'm just looking for the opportunity for all the candidates in this race to get an opportunity to be heard on a national stage because they deserve it. These are really good, qualified men and women. I guarantee you someone in that first debate is going to be someone who's going to get a lot of delegates come next year, and it will be another incidence uh, where the RNC and the national media missed it. Santorum is currently polling at 2 percent and looks like he'll just miss the top 10 of the main debate. Meanwhile, the new Fox News poll shows Donald Trump way ahead with 26 percent of the GOP primary vote, followed by Jeb Bush at 15 percent and Scott Walker at 9. Safety officials in New Hampshire continue to investigate the collapse of a circus tent last night, which killed a father and daughter and injured at least 22 more. Severe weather, including 60-mile-per-hour winds, blew through the area 90 miles north of Concord. Brandon Isham witnessed the collapse. People who were part of the circus just yelled run in the same motion. I just see stakes and stuff coming up out of the ground. Next thing you know, the tent's coming up and over. More than 100 people were inside the tent at the time of the collapse. Northern California continues to burn. The massive Rocky Fire has now burned over 62,000 acres while destroying 24 homes. The massive blaze crossed a vital containment line last night and is just 12 percent contained. Here's California fighter, fire spokesman Jay Smith. 
This fire has been uh, very unique, actually uh, unprecedented. This fire grew by 22,000 acres in five hours. The computer simulator said that it would take about seven days for that to happen, and this fire did it in five. Thousands of people have been forced to evacuate the area while Air Force Reserves have been called in to help battle the blaze. Several airlines have announced they'll no longer allow big game trophies to be transported on their flights. American, United and Delta Airlines say they'll stop allowing the trophies, though as recently as May they did accept the shipments as long as they were legal. This coming after the, after the outrage over the killing of a lion in Zimbabwe. And Matt, it seems all summer long we've been talking about shark attacks. Yes. Now there's the story of the seven-foot alligator that washed ashore oh, in boy. South Carolina on Sunday. Did you see that no, video? It's no. crazy. He washed ashore? He washed ashore after about two hours going up and down the shore. A gator removal team <laughs> lassoed the alligator and relocated it away from the beach. Not sure how it got in there, but it, you can I see it know. through the waves. And Did they, I thought they didn't like salt water. They're fresh water usually, but they said that's not unusual to see it in salt water. But like, but bathing on the beach. Yeah, can you imagine? Being, you're afraid of the shark, and all of a sudden you see this big, long... Seven-foot alligator. I'm not – well, now the shark would be worse. You know what? This is how this would go down. This is how naive we are. If my family – if we were on the beach in Florida, we'd walk by it, and I'd think, man, look how long that lady's been in the sun. Her skin looks horrible. But seriously. Either that or you'd be going, you know, I need a new new pair of cowboy boots. Wow. Not – okay, this is absolutely crazy. Yesterday – I don't know how I got there – this is how my mind works. After the show, went in, watched a video, which led me to another video, mm-hmm. which led me to another video. Next thing I know, I'm watching him skin an alligator. You did? Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't watch stuff like that. 11 minutes. 11 minutes of skinning they the were, alligator? They were processing an alligator. Ooh. It, I know. It was weird. I, I think I got there. What did there, you start with? How did it I think I started there? with Cecil the lion. <laughs> And then it got you. And to then the, I got to the giraffe story from yesterday, where that woman poached that a giraffe. That was huge. That's horrible. I that mean, that was horrible. And that's why you see Delta Airlines now saying, "Okay, yeah. no more no big more. game," because yeah. we can't keep you know, we can't keep transporting giraffes for everybody. Right. And um, then I somehow it led me to a to an alligator, and then somehow processing. An alligator. Yeah. But when you see, because <laughs> I I don't like to talk about this usually, but my favorite show on earth is. Um, are those shows about alligator hunters? Really? Yeah. That's your favorite show? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's my depth right there. Right there. That's, and, yeah. but because honestly, I don't understand a word they're saying. Mm-hmm. And they're from the US, but they're from the bayou. And, um, but that can be a foreign language. It's a foreign language. But there's one of them that I just really think is a neat guy that coaches people and teaches others how to do it. Anyway, but. So I see all these alligators getting captured or killed, and then I, but I've never seen one processed. Oh, Weird. awful. But have you ever had gator meat? No. Oh. Have you? Mm-hmm. Let me guess. It tastes like chicken. How did you know that? <laughs> it's, it's white meat that tastes like chicken. <laughs> oh, but it's like when – oh, I'm telling you. It's oh. pretty good. It's pretty good. Where did you have that? Uh, we had it in Florida. Mm. Mm. Yummy? Mm-hmm. Really good. A barbecue sauce on it. I did. Or, oh, I dipped. It was, a, it was a little gator nugget. Gator nugget. Ah, gator nuggets are really good. Dipped it in barbecue. Processed crocodile meat. Yeah. I believe. Uh-huh. And now I know, I know where it came from. Chicken nuggets are usually not one hundred percent. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that the, was one hundred percent crocodile. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, I hope, but it <laughs> did know, taste a lot know? like chicken. It was really good. So I, I don't know. I guess that just shows you how crazy it is that I went from Cecil the lion to a 
processing of a gator. Yeah, that's bizarre. But I did see where the leather comes from, and I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, that, yeah, that is a nice pair of boots right there. Boots. Yep. Except I don't wear boots. Can't with my plantar. It's all sad. Anyway, good job, Kathy. Hey, we got a great uh, guest coming up. Have you ever wished that you could, you were a human lie detector? And maybe this is a curse. What if you knew that every time someone was lying to you, then like every time Ben's like, man, that was a great segment. I'd know. He's lying. Matt, it was a great segment. See, I can't tell. But you know what? In a minute, I'll know the six ways to detect a liar in 10 seconds. Stick with us. Dr. Gregory Jance is going to be joining us, and he's going to be talking to us about his article he wrote on Psychology Today about lie detecting. (laughs) Pretty cool stuff. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about liars and the lying lies that they lie about. Lying. And uh, we, everybody, every human being, I truly believe, to some degree, we mislead others, whether overtly, you know, intentionally, uh, but we do so either by neglect, by not informing, by deceit, by actually lying about what we believe is is trustworthy or true or not. Um, so when we think about it, if we could figure out a way to maneuver through someone else's uh, pattern or lies, wouldn't that make us more powerful? Now... We've talked about it on the show a lot, but and, and anytime you hear about the amygdala, that's that fight or flight part of our brain. Every human being has this amygdala part of the brain, and it, I call it the reptilian brain. I call it the kind of the reactive brain. It is designed to make sure you don't die. And about ten percent of our information is is actually something that we cognitively think through, that we actually have words and pictures and images and we're looking for, right? Just cognitively seeing it, noticing it. But 90% of our brain is just kind of a gut reaction. It's a biochemical feeling. So when someone's lying to you, you may very well not be getting cognitively in your highest brain that they're lying to you, but your gut may not feel right about what's going on. You may even and you may not even know why. You may not even attribute it to a lie. You may just think, "Oh, something's weird there." Or you may just not sense that you trust somebody. You might feel a little uneasy. So should we trust that kind of gut instinct? Well, I would say, "Yeah." And what I would try to do is figure out if we can't find a way to actually fine-tune that gut a little bit more so we're not just inherently not trusting people, but that we're actually able to become better better communicators, better better people at relating, and better at knowing what works and what doesn't work. 
So when we think about it, and, and I really want you to, to, to tune in to your own conscience, your conscience and your own sense of um, what's right or wrong, and start asking yourself, are you pretty effective at reading people in the moment? Do you feel like you have a gift and ability to notice what's really going on? Um, we, uh, I was reading an article by a wonderful guest named Gregory L. Jantz um, from Psychology Today. And he, in his article, he wrote an article called Six Ways to Detect a Liar in Just Seconds. Wouldn't that be great? Man, you'd just go make all this money. But in his article, he talks about the fact that 80% of lies go undetected. And some of it is, I think, honestly, we're just not even present. We're not even listening, not even paying attention. But if somebody's a little shifty, your body knows they're shifty. If somebody's, you know, not making eye contact, you know something's not right, but you probably don't know cognitively in your head you don't know overtly, you don't know, oh, this guy can't be trusted. His eyes are shifting. Now, I guess if you work for the FBI and you're used to investigating and interrogating people and you know what are the top 10 signs of lying, you might be cognitively understanding this. But subconsciously, you're, you're picking it up. Your body is going to pick up that same information. So I wanted to take some time today to talk about six ways to detect a liar in just seconds. And uh, one of the fastest ways, according to Dr. Uh, Jantz, is simply ask basic neutral questions. He says, by asking some basic non-threatening questions, you then get to kind of observe a baseline. You get to see how people are normally. You know, a basic neutral question would be just about weather, about their weekend plans, about what's going on in life. You know, basic stuff. And that allows you to just kind of get settled in. So if you're coming home, you're wondering if your kid's, you know, got a problem, his grades are dropping, something's not right, watch what happens just by asking, hey, how was your day? And observe. Uh, One of my big things I teach in my communication classes is just start paying attention. Everything you need to know about anyone is right there in the conversation. All the information's there. You just need to pay attention to it. If you're not going to tune in, if you're not going to pay attention to what they're sending you, then it's your fault that you're missing these points. You got to kind of know what your partner looks like when they're neutral. You got to know what your kids are like when they're neutral. You got to know what your coworkers are like when they're neutral. So, do they look you dead in the eye? There's some people that just won't look you in the eye. There's some people that'll just avoid that type of intimacy, that type of closeness. But once you kind of know your partner, if they're one that looks you in the eye, then okay, then we know naturally they're one that'll look at you, they're one that'll turn it with you, they're one that that talk at this pace, at this rhythm, at this tone, at this, you know, kind of timing. And you got a good baseline. Then what you could do is move into what uh, Dr. Jantz called the lie zone. So move out of the neutral territory into the lie zone. So if you have a child, for example, that you think, you know, is staying up late on his phone, you could move into the lie zone and just ask a question. And the minute you ask a question, so what's what's going on with your grades, son? And the minute you see 
a change of facial expressions, of eye movement, of sentence structure. I call it vital signs. Once I see their vital signs go up, once I see their energy take off, then I know I'm kind of in a hot spot. I just call it, now I know that something's going on. So there's something about the grades that that might be a problem. There's something about if I bring up the phone. So you're not on your phone at night when you go to bed, are you? Here we go. What do you mean am I? If all of a sudden they escalate, do you want to bet there's something going on there? There's information there that you need to notice. Why would the emotion go up? And then listen to the data. One of the things Dr. Jantz talks about is make sure you watch the body language, right? Liars, he says, often pull their body inward when lying to make themselves feel smaller and less noticeable. Many people become squirmy. Sometimes they conceal their hands to subconsciously hide fidgety fingers. That's why Ben always puts his hands in his pockets. And he shrinks into a ball and sits on his knees. That's what's happening, Ben. I should have noticed that. Shoulder shrugging. They just kind of... They squish into a smaller image. So if you see the person you're talking to shrinking as they're talking to you, if you see that they're starting to – that baseline of that calm, neutral person's no longer there, something has shifted. And as the topic has shifted, they're really – they're going off, aren't they? Isn't that interesting? Does that mean they're automatically lying? No, no. It doesn't mean they're automatically lying if you see the emotion going up, but it means there's something going on there. That's why I call it a vital sign. I uh, used to be an EMT on an ambulance, and I didn't know how to fix every problem when I showed up on an ambulance. But I did know that I needed to check vital signs. And so I'd always check vital signs when I got there, and then we'd treat people. And based on treatment, we'd see if the vital signs improved or if they didn't. And if the vital signs don't improve, then guess what? Then the treatment's not working. So we set a baseline, and you don't have to do it every time, but you know what your partner's like in a neutral state. You know what your kids are like when they're just happy and neutral. You know how much eye contact, how close they are to you. Then what you can do is start noticing when they're out of that state. And any time you see them outside of that natural, neutral kind of state, you can predict that there's, I call it, high vital signs. Something's going on. And usually it's when something's going on that I notice that they're, gonna, they're more likely to lie. And they're not going to lie just because they're deviant and horrible. They're, they might lie because you can't take it. They might lie because don't, you don't want to know. They might lie because you, you know, you're going to ground them. They might lie for a variety of reasons. And sometimes when their emotion goes up, they're not lying. They're just hurting. They're sad. They're depressed. And when someone's sad and depressed, they're probably more likely to lie. So it's pretty basic stuff, right? We're going to take a break, come back. When we come back, we'll continue the discussion about the five or the six ways to detect a liar in just seconds. Again, we're, we're borrowing um, some uh, of the great work from um, Dr. Gregory L. Jantz, a Ph.D. and author of the book Six Ways to Detect a Liar in Just Seconds from his article on psychology today. Stick with us, folks. We're talking relationships one-on-one, being able to detect the lie. Or the vital signs when they go up. Stick with us, right? We'll be right back.
Welcome back, everybody. A little Millie Vanilli for you. Nobody says lying better than Millie Vanilli. Do you remember this group? Put that up a bit there. Mm. Such a great song with incredible voices. They just didn't belong to Millie or Vanilli. (laughs) Oh, folks, you can't lie, can you? It just doesn't work. Anyway, that's uh, that's it's an interesting thing because today many people critique the the uh, the music makers because they use auto tuning. So now they can you know sing any song and with a little auto tuning and auto correcting, the computers can make them sound like they're on key. Now is that lying and cheating? It's crazy, isn't it? Uh, Millie Vanilli actually didn't sing that that song. So they were flat out lip syncing someone else's song. They, they tried to sing it, you know, just didn't quite, wasn't quite the same. So today we're talking about lying. And uh, to me, it's very obvious. Everybody to some degree or another um, has some form of auto or self-correcting or manipulation or, you know, distorting facts and we don't do it just because we're devils and we, we're horrible people trying to lie. We do it for survival. A lot, of us, a, a lot of us just flat out alter our stories. We do it all the time, self-selecting the information so that we will look the best we can look. And I guess when you do it conscientiously, it's, it is a full-on lie. You're trying to manipulate in a way. Um, so – but – I also want us to know that there's a lot of reasons we do it that aren't just manipulative. Sometimes we are lying because we're hurting. Sometimes we're lying because I don't have anyone to tell this to. We had some guests on a couple days ago talking about, you know, opening up and bringing out our biggest secrets that we've been judging our own self-worth on for years. If you have an addiction and you're hiding it from everybody, you are going to lie you are lying, but you're not lying because you're an evil, horrible dark spawn of darkness. You're lying because you're hurting and you're broken. Well, it doesn't matter, Matt. You're lying either way. Right. But when you also are dating somebody and you don't immediately come out telling them that you're lactose intolerant because when you eat too much cheese, you're sick for a week. You may not come out and say that either, but you're not doing that because you're a big fat liar. You, you just you don't do that because you don't always want to start with your worst part. You don't start with your biggest weakness. Right. So we, when we talk about detecting a liar, I don't want you to detect a liar so you can you know, crush him. I want you to detect a liar so you can learn to get better at reading people. There's a great quote by Paul Watzlawick that I use all the time that says you cannot not communicate. Who you are is always being communicated. So if you are incongruous with your belief system or yours, what you're talking about, your body will manifest that and you're going to show dissonance. It won't jive what you're saying. I'll know because you'll sweat more. I'll know because you'll, you'll be fidgety. I know because you'll use different words. And if we would just all pay attention to that, 
Do you know how many times I've talked to people and they end up saying, oh, man, I knew my husband had a problem before we even got married. I'm like, well, then why did you marry him? I don't know. I just didn't. I didn't really know. I just kind of knew. I just sensed it. Well, of course you did. Your bodies are wired to be sensors to pick up this information. And uh, we're talking about an article by Dr. Gregor Jantz, Gregory Jantz, who um, is a, a, a blogger for Psychology Today. And it was just an interesting article that I wanted to, to go over. We, um, we, we've been talking about so far some things that he suggested you do. Just start by asking neutral questions. And I think in your long-term relationships, you should kind of know what your natural, neutral, healthy partner's like. What are they like? How do they normally move? How do they normally respond? How do they normally look at you when you're in a conversation? Do they look you in the eye? Are they, what's their level of you know, emotion and their body language? And then once you kind of know the baseline, then when you're on a hot topic, you'll see that they actually shift. Facial expressions change. Eye movement shifts change. Sentence structure changes. You'll notice emotion starts to go up. You'll notice the speed of the conversation usually goes faster. So we want you to watch for that. Watch for body language. Remember, if the, if the person starts to get smaller, squirmier, if they tend to be pulling away from you, those are probably signs that a lie, a, a lie of some sort is going on. It doesn't mean they're telling the content isn't true. It just means they don't want to be with you. And if they don't want to be with you, one reason they may not want to be with you is because they're not telling the truth. Another reason is because you're not hearing it. A lot of people just don't receive very well what others need to say. So be careful. And I'd be careful calling someone a liar because if they're going to be called a liar every time they are less forthcoming, then now they have to deal with the fact that they have this weird brand on them that they're a liar. And yet some of the reason I'm not forthcoming is because honestly, you're highly reactive and you can't take what I'm about to tell you. Oh, so you don't love me? I'm not saying I don't love you. I'm saying I can't tell you what I'm really feeling because you can't take – what do you mean I can't take it? Of course I can take it. What are you really feeling? You drive me crazy. Oh, you are so rude. I cannot believe you just said that. And then you blow it up? Well, you wanted me to tell you. Well, I didn't want you to be rude. You didn't have to be rude about it. <sighs> if I can't tell you face-to-face, eye-to-eye, knee-to-knee, toe-to-toe, if I can't tell you that way – then maybe I have to lie. No, liars don't go to heaven. Well, there's a lot of people that don't go to heaven. (laughs) So do people that judge. So do people that, you know, speak evil about their neighbor. So do people, people that, that are highly reactive. You know, they're not going to heaven if we're making this about getting to heaven. Why don't we just make it about being effective? I'm going to watch your body language. I'm going to watch what's happening. Uh, Dr. Jantz also pulled, uh, brought up the idea that we need to watch for micro facial expressions. People will often give away a lie in their facial expression, but they're subtle. And sometimes you just got to be paying attention. You might uh, notice that facial coloration turns to a slighter shade of pink. Maybe they get a little flushed. Maybe their nostrils flare a little bit. Maybe they bite their lip. They perspire slightly. They blink rapidly. That could be when someone's lying. It could also be, like with Ben's case, anytime a lovely lady walks in the room. Nostrils flare, perspire slightly, face gets flushed, starts to blink rapidly. 
We used to call that love. Anyway. I'd also listen to the tone. There's something that's really cool. When you pay attention to conversations a lot, you can see when somebody is hurting or maybe lying or maybe trying to run around an issue. You'll notice that the timing and the tone and the cadence of the conversation changes. They might speed up really fast or they might slow down. Now listen to what I'm saying. If you see the cadence and the timing change, something might be amiss. People that, because they might be slowing down so they can think through the lie. They might be speeding up so you can't think through the lie. (laughs) They're just signs. I wouldn't assume every one of these are signs that someone's lying. It might be a sign that they have something going on that they're having a hard time sharing. Right? And then what I would do is I'd start inquiring more about that. I'm noticing you're saying this and this and this. Tell me more about that and get them to tell you more about that. Um, Many times when I work with clients, I'll work with them. We'll build a really strong relationship of trust. I'll know that something's amiss. I'll know that something's not right. I might even sense that the guy, for example, has had an affair. I'll sense it. I'll even ask it. They'll even lie to me. No. And I'll say, well, okay, maybe not an affair, but maybe you just... Maybe you just emotionally connected to somebody, and you may not have touched them, you may not have kissed them, but you're emotionally connected to someone else that's not your spouse. And if I give them another alternative other than being an infidel, sometimes they'll, yeah, I did that. Yeah. Right? Right? It's easier for them to accept. I've had others that wouldn't even accept that. No, I, I never did. It was never. And then I'll even back it out even further. Maybe it wasn't a human that you had this emotional affair with. Maybe it was just the idea or concept of leaving your your wife that's really hard for you. And, and you just wanted the freedom to be the guy you want to be. And some won't even take that. But many, many, many times when I sensed that there was something else going on, almost in, inevitably there was. And many times they'll come back and totally tell me. And I'm thinking, why are you lying to me? (laughs) I'm going to keep your confidences, but let me help you. And what I've realized is they're lying to me because they're ashamed. They don't want to deal with their own stuff. So when you get into it, we're not here to just sit there and, and accuse everyone of being a liar, but people are going to communicate what's really going on. And if we will pay attention in the moment, all the information we need is there. It's all right there, I promise. Which is so cool, isn't it? Because you can trust yourself to gather more data. You just can't keep in your story. If I keep in my story that they're lying, then I might miss other little data points. I might miss things that they're giving me. I might miss... uh, the emotion. I might miss the distractions that they might be feeling. So I, whenever this is going on, I, I teach this concept that I call the five holes. And I'm always looking. So whenever I see really high emotion and really frustrated people, I usually am looking for one of five reasons that they might be frustrated, okay? And that the, a, a relationship isn't working very well. 
I look for physiology. Is there some physiological reason, like if they're underslept, if, they're, if they haven't eaten all day, if they have other uh, physiological or medical issues, then I can pay attention to that. So sometimes we can't, we're not connecting, we're not strong because of our physiology. Sometimes we're struggling because of our psychology. And um, a really good example of that, we've talked about it on the show before, is are these issues with people that have attachment issues where they don't feel like that, you know, they don't feel like they have a loving, connected partner that they can connect to. And because they don't feel connected and able to connect into somebody, it really makes them tend to withdraw or become really anxious in their marriage or their relationship. So some people have physiological issues, dementia, for example. They might have, um, they may have just had a cancer and a cancer treat and cancer treatments. And because of their cancer treatment, they can't remember a lot of things. They may be in a little bit of a fog, and not quite remember certain things. And that might impact a relationship. But I wouldn't call somebody that just came out of chemo six months ago a liar if they're suffering a physiological issue. I also wouldn't call somebody a liar, even though in the end it might look like a lie, if, they're, if they have an attachment issue. They have a bigger problem. I call these the five holes. We, it's like a bucket, and you can pour love all you want in the bucket, but if there's two holes in the bucket, psychology and physiology, they're not going to hold the water. Psychology and physiology. The third hole that I talk about are distractions. Distractions could be anything. It could be a girlfriend. It could be your family. It could be your job. It could be your kids. They could be distracting you. Anything that takes your time, your attention, your focus away from the relationship could be a distraction. The next one is addictions. Addictions sometimes come from our physiology. Sometimes they come from our psychology. But addictions, nonetheless, are, are one of the main reasons I think a lot of people are lying. We're lying because we, are, we have addictions, and the addictions make us not proud. They make us feel shame. And when we have shame, we want to go hide that shame. And the number one way to hide the shame and to keep the secrets is to just lie. If my wife knew how many hours I was playing video games, she'd divorce me. Physiology, psychology, addictions, distractions, and the last hole is ignorance. Sometimes I've found that people just don't relate well with each other, and they even end up lying because, A, they're ignorant to how to do it otherwise. They don't know how to just tell the truth. Some people don't know how to do it. And sometimes they're in relationships where their partners can't hear it, and their partner is ignorant in knowing how to make a place safe for people to come and tell the truth. So some are psychologically strained, some are physiologically broken, some have addictions, some have distractions, and some are just skilled or lack skills. I call those the five holes. And once you've got holes, you're going to see more lies. You're going to see more stress. You're going to see more issues. We'll take a break when we come back to a quick wrap up on this, give you more ideas for what you can do once you've got the holes. But be thinking about it. Do you have any of those holes? And are they impacting your ability to have trust in your relationship? Stick with us. We're talking trust in our relationships right here on The Matt Townsend Show.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we've been talking about relationships and trust and lying. You know, we could give you a lie detector to put on everybody. And the reality is you would probably already know when you're being lied to, to some degree or another. Believe me, the evidence is there. It's just in front of you. But sometimes we're so caught up in our fear that they're lying to us that we don't watch what's in present, what's what's in our very face, right? It's right there. So if we would just take a breath, pay more attention to what's going on in the moment and, and gain our confidence not from somebody not lying to us. Your confidence should not come from everybody being honest with you. Your confidence should come from your ability to handle those that aren't, your ability to read those that aren't being honest with you. The minute my confidence has to come from everybody only telling me the truth and nobody ever hurting me, then I'm kind of, I'm kind of in trouble. I've got to be confident in understanding that sometimes people hurt me, especially people that I love may even hurt me. And my confidence doesn't come from them never hurting me. My confidence comes from knowing who I am, knowing how to handle it, knowing how to read these people better knowing how to be effective with people. Uh, Lou Holtz, uh, Notre Dame's football coach, old football coach, has a great quote. He says, when people need love and understanding and support the most is when they deserve it the least. Have you ever noticed that? So when someone's lying to you and being a jerk and mean to you, they don't actually, you know, they're kind of hurting you now. Now you don't kind of feel like they deserve this love and understanding and support. But that's when they need it. When someone's lying and being angry and calling names and trying to hurt you, that's when we need to make sure we step in and get in that space and watch out for those holes. So you be thinking about you. Do you have any physiological problems that make it harder for you to to be honest, to remember? Do you have any issues with, uh, you know, even attention deficit disorder with anxiety, with depression. If you have anxiety and depression, does that end up causing you to lie? Because you can't tell your partner what you did all day because they won't be happy if she found out you were on the couch sleeping all day. Do you have a, or psychological problems? You know, past abuse, past problems, you know, past disorders, things you haven't dealt with that you're keeping from your partner? Because if so, it's going to cause you problems. Do you have addiction issues? Are you medicating some of your physiological problems and some of your psychological problems? Do you have distractions, things that are getting in the way that are against your value system? And are you ignorant to knowing how to handle some of these things? Do you not know how to fix some of these? Those are the five holes. So if we fix anything, let's fix those. Let's just fix those. Let's work on our stuff so we don't have to keep perpetuating lies. And instead, let's go fix the holes in our lives. There's a great quote. When are we going to stop swatting at the flies and go and patch the screen? So instead of complaining about trust and honesty and lies, let's go fix the holes that we've all got. Psychological, physiological addictions, distractions, and ignorance. That's the Coach's Corner, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Remember, can't do it without you trying to help you see the good in the world. And amazingly, that good is right there, you. You're what we got, and you're great. And uh, we just need to each pick up the game a bit. 
We'll take a break. Come back for a whole new hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on this side. Welcome to the program. This just in, traffic jam in Dublin. This is tragic. As popular as the minions are with film goers, you know those little yellow minions from Despicable Me? Uh, apparently, they have clogged up traffic for commuters in Dublin. A giant inflatable minion balloon somehow got loose of its restraints and rolled onto a road near the north part of the city of Dublin. I'm not sure how it got loose, but there's a minion on the loose. And uh, it says, I it just... Came loose, flew across the road, and it's been very windy there. And uh, lo and behold, uh, caused accidents, jammed up, jammed up traffic, stuck. One minion. Don't you hate it when that happens? I hate it. Hate it. Your day can be ruined by one, one minion. minion. <laughs> one minion, oh. Ben. Even if his name's Ben, he can ruin your life. Have you ever noticed what the minion's language is? What language is that? It's just a mix of... It's German. There's some German in it, but there's also Spanish and Italian and See, they're, they're, they're bilingual. They're multilingual. <clears throat> yeah. Well, Very you, smart. Well, as a minion, you have to be. Very smart. Because you, you need to make a living. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not all fun and games. It's please. Not, it can't be all fun and games. So watch out for flying minions, folks, even if they are bilingual, multilingual. It's uh, It's been an interesting day. We've talked about the debates. We've talked about lying and trustworthiness in our relationships. And coming up today, uh, in just a few minutes, we're going to get in with uh, our great guest, Dr. Ron Hager, here from Brigham Young University. And we'll be talking about your portion size. Maybe one of the reasons uh, we are gaining so much weight is because there's some there's some very basic secrets, and things have changed. The portion we used to eat... 20 years ago, a lot bigger today. Plus, there's other tricks to making sure you just don't eat as much. And Dr. Ron Hager is going to uh, teach us some of those tricks. So if you've been wanting to lose some weight, stick with us. Six little secrets to help you lose weight. But before we do that, let's go talk to Kathy, find out about the news. Well, Matt, ready or not, the first GOP debate is just two days away. Here's how it will work. The average of the five most polls will decide the top 10 contenders for the prime time debate. GOP contender Rick Santorum talked about the selection process. National polls mean nothing. It's just an arbitrary figure. And unfortunately, the networks and the RNC have, have gone along with this irrelevant measure of, of legitimacy of candidacy. And then have the ability to influence who is in the top 10 by the amount of coverage they get and amount of advertising dollars. Santorum is currently polling at 2% and looks like he'll be in the seven-person debate, which will air at 5 p.m. instead of the 10-person debate that follows in prime time. Meanwhile, a Fox News poll shows Donald Trump way ahead with 26% of the GOP primary likely voters, followed by Jeb Bush at 15% and Scott Walker at 9 The GOP effort to defund Planned Parenthood was stopped by Senate Democrats yesterday by a vote of 53 to 46. That's seven votes shy of the 60 needed to advance. The measure was in response 
response to undercover video showing Planned Parenthood officials discussing the sale of fetal tissue to researchers. Republicans in the House and Senate say they'll oppose any spending bills that include federal funding for the organization next year. The man accusing a Memphis police officer turned himself in yesterday and is being held on $9 million bail. 29-year-old Tremaine Wilborn, who was on federal probation, allegedly thought shot 33-year-old officer Sean Bolton when the officer approached the car he was in interrupting a drug deal. Here's Memphis Mayor A.C. Wharton. We're grateful to the men and women of law enforcement, our own MPD, but all the others, U.S. Marshals, Sheriff's Department, everybody who's going <coughs> in on this to uh, bring about uh, a, an intensity of heat uh, that it became evident uh, there was no uh, hiding place, which brought us to where we are here today. Wilborn is scheduled to be arraigned today on first-degree murder charges. Jurors in the James Holmes penalty phase yesterday agreed the death penalty should remain an option for the Colorado movie theater shooter. The final phase begins today with testimony from the victim's families in about an hour. After the arguments, the jury will make its final decision on whether or not Holmes will die by lethal injection or spend the rest of his life in prison. This is the same jury that convicted the 27-year-old of killing 12 people and injuring seven in a theater three years ago. Safety officials in New Hampshire continue to investigate the collapse of a circus tent last night, which killed a father and his daughter and injured at least 22 more. Severe weather, including 60-mile-per-hour winds, blew through the area 90 miles north of Concord. Brandon Isham saw it all. People who were part of the circus just yelled, run. In the same motion, I just see stakes and stuff coming up out of the ground. Next thing you know, the tent's coming up and over. More than 100 people were inside the tent at the time of the collapse. An outbreak of Legionnaire's disease in New York has taken more lives. In South Bronx, seven people have now died from the disease, and the number of people infected in the area has risen to 81. Legionnaire's disease is caused when water tainted with a certain bacteria is inhaled into the lungs. Small droplets of the contaminated water can be circulated through a building's air conditioning system. And Matt, in the last hour, you talked about lying. Yes. Well, athletes, of course, can fall into that category. Yeah, a few of them have lied. Yes. A British newspaper obtained the results of 12,000 blood tests involving 5,000 athletes from the Olympics and World Championships between 2001 and 2012. Oh, boy. So the report found that 146 medals, 55 of those gold, were won by athletes with suspicious tests. IOC President Thomas Bach said there will be zero tolerance if any of the cases do involve athletes at the Olympic Games because the IOC stores Olympic doping samples for 10 years for possible retesting. Uh And in the past, they've stripped medals from athletes who have been found guilty after winning a medal. In past Olympics. So, you know, I guess if you're guilty, you better still be a little nervous, I guess. Wouldn't that? I mean, a blood test. That's, uh, you know, whatever happened to the good old days where you just worked out. You know, and in sports, being a sports fanatic yeah. that that one disappoints me you just don't know who's who's being honest who's winning honest honestly you know well and, and like i still can't get over lance that was that was about as bad as you can get that, and i felt so bad for the people that he literally destroyed mm-hmm. uh as he kept telling lie after lie that nope he wasn't doping and then yeah. it came out and he had lied a long time but see and it, that's the same thing so we get into these holes and once we've got these holes going on we just yeah. start covering them up and do everything we can yeah so i got in a hole when I was watching the Olympics when yeah. I was young. So Dorothy Hamill was oh, my idol. Oh, I remember idol. Dorothy. Oh, she was you know my what? idol. Even though I couldn't stand on stage, She was my was first terrible. girlfriend. Was she really? Yeah. You liked the bob? I was like the bob six. The haircut? Yeah. She, anyway, so she was skating for the gold medal, 
And it was on a Sunday. <laughs> yes. And I told my mom, oh, my, I really, I can't go to church today. I'm really sick. You can't skate I, on Sunday. No, I, no, because I, I wanted, yeah, she was, yeah, she was going to, yeah, she was going to, during yeah. the church. You're like, mom, I got like, I'm, I'm so sick. I can't go. So you... I'm thinking my mom's going to go with my other siblings and I will be home alone and I'd get to watch it. See, that was in the day, no ESPN, yeah. no repeats right, really. Right. And I think in the, even the local news, I don't even know if they showed it or covered it. But <laughs> so I'm thinking, okay, I got it. And all of a sudden my mom stayed home with me. What a and good I mom. And I had to stay. <laughs> what a great mom. <laughs> I was so disappointed. There's my big lie. And I and it totally came yeah. back and beat me. Yeah. My mom knew me. Dorothy I guess she Hamill. knew. She knew. She knew deep down what I was doing and stayed home. Isn't that? Maybe and your I mom. I had to stay in my room. You stayed in your room, but your yeah. mom went and watched the Olympics. I don't think so. And watched Dorothy Hamill. I don't think she did. You sure? I don't think so. I, she wasn't a big sports fan. Yeah. Not what like, what not like turned me. you into it? You are a you are a fanatic. I was a tomboy when I was young and played all sports. Yeah, I loved them. Loved yeah. every, and would play with all the neighborhood boys and you know and That's usually cool. would beat them. Of and, course. Yeah, I remember playing a guy in tennis when I was dating, and I was just kind of goofing off, and he yeah. goes, you know. I need you to play like you really play. So I did, and I beat him six love, and he never called me again. So see, you, you know, knew. I knew. You, knew. Like, you were catfish. <laughs> and my grandma goes, "Honey, you can't do that. You've got to let the men win." I'm like, "Yeah, no, no, I'm not going no. to." No, if he can't beat me in tennis, yeah, yeah. he doesn't deserve me. Exactly. You can't handle this. You can't handle the truth. But That's never cool. lie when you want to watch no. your favorite athlete no. during church time. It backfires. <laughs> it's it, it'll eventually. Yeah, you're not going to heaven. No, I'm not. But, I repented, though. But you did. I did. And you even got the Dorothy Hamill haircut. <laughs> kind of, yeah. It's better. It's better than <laughs> Dorothy. She's still my idol. I think she's awesome. She was my first girlfriend. Did your wife know this? Yeah. Farrah okay. was my second. <laughs> it was Those weird. Those are two very different women. Oh, yeah. But I, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't know. You didn't I just, know. I just know what I saw. <laughs> and I just thought, wow, these are good people. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you did. These are really nice people. Dorothy, my first girl. Uh, We're going to take a break. When we come back, Dr. Ron Hager is going to be joining us, Associate Professor of Exercise Sciences here in the College of Life Sciences at Brigham Young University. He's going to be talking about healthier eating. There's some tricks, folks. We've changed a lot of what we do with our diet from portion sizes and and our overconsumption. It could be easily remedied with just a few basic solutions. He'll be talking about those six to be exact. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Have you ever uh, read the label on maybe some cookies and found out that, you know, there's so many calories uh, in a serving or a a portion of cookies, a serving of cookies, and then you find out that a serving or a portion sample might actually be just two cookies, and you know you've never just had two cookies. you got to have 20 cookies, so that's 55 servings. It's confusing, isn't it? And so how are we supposed to sort through all of that and you know, lose weight or stay healthy. Joining us is Dr. Ron Hager. He's an associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences at Brigham Young University. He's an expert in chronic disease prevention, which is our goal, help you live longer and love stronger. And Ron's here today to help us uh, learn some very basic solutions 
just they're simple things, Ron, that if we would just do that, just learn a few things, we might actually just naturally lose weight. Yeah, I think so, Matt. Um, you know, there there are certain issues, though, with, uh, the, you know, the soft word is called craving. Yeah. You know, people have cravings. Sure. The, the hard word is addiction. Yeah. And... Uh, and and those and sometimes those things can be hard to deal with. I mean, you know, people can relate to things like addiction to alcohol or addiction to drugs. Um, but the science nowadays, the research is showing that people may actually have or do have actually uh, addictions to, uh, you know, food or the composition of foods like you know maybe sugar or yeah. or salt or fat or something like so that. So you could be addicted just to needing more sugar. Yeah, and it's it's more of a genetic thing. Uh, but there are studies that have shown that you know they do these these uh, MRI scans yeah. basically of the of the brain, and they show that for example the very same areas or centers of the brain that light up with say something like cocaine light up with sugar. Wow! And and so you create these sort of pathways in your brain with uh, certain chemicals, and that's all food is. Food yeah. is, food is just chemicals. We're a chemical machine. Yeah, but we like the chemicals. Yeah, we, well, certain chemicals, certain chemicals we like more. Yeah, and, and cer- certain people have predispositions. One person can have a drink of alcohol. Yeah, and it can, you can become an alcoholic. Another person can drink alcohol on a regular basis, but not have a problem. Hmm. And th- that's because of the genetic predisposition. For example, alcoholism is thought to be maybe fifty to sixty percent of the risk of becoming alcoholic uh, is related to to, wow. to genes. So so those are some of the bigger issues, but no matter who you are, you know, there are things you can do on a daily basis to just kind of become more aware. Now, we talked a little bit about this last time. I'm a big believer in an individual kind of getting in tune with themselves, yeah. learning a little more about who they are, what affects them. But in, in uh, you know, David Kessler was the former head of the FDA, and he wrote a couple of books that are really good. But he, he talks a lot about overconsumption issues, and that's kind of what we're doing today and what we did last time and probably do it again in the future because it's, it's, a, it's a big issue. But he said we live in a food carnival <laughs> and that we make, uh, on average, a person makes around 200 decisions a day related to food. Well, But see, some of those are actually – I mean, we make the decision of how many packages of cookies I'll eat – yeah. But then some of the decisions are actually made by the manufacturer that's trying to market more to me. Yeah. So or like like you, we talked last time about portion sizes have changed. Like yeah. I've been to a warehouse store where they sell you a muffin, but the muffin is like the size of a baby. Yeah, yeah it's uh, – and they, you know, the, uh, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, uh, National Institutes of Health – some other organizations, they actually, if you, if you go online and just Google portion distortion, you can find some of the information that they put out because they have looked at what things were 20 years ago and what they are today. I mean, that was, and that's a great, they, they ought to find it because just the data from that, just seeing a muffin 25 years ago, which was one serving, I guess. Yeah. It was, it's literally those little mini muffins Yeah, compared to the muffin today that's like 10 of those. Yeah, so the muffin of 20 years ago, uh, Matt was uh, 1.5 ounces. You know, it was only 210 calories. Yeah. The muffin of today in the in the big box warehouse stores that you're talking about um, is actually 500 calories and four ounces. So, what was a 
serving. So, so a muffin is a serving, yeah. right? I mean, nobody says, well, I'll just have a quarter of that muffin. Yeah, well, no, everybody does, but nobody does. Well, right. <laughs> they all but, say that, but right, they don't But, but do when that. you see a muffin, you say, well, that's a muffin. Right. That's a That's a serving size. Portion. That's, that's yours. a serving. And so that's where the confusion comes in between, you know, what a, what a serving is according to food nutrition mm-hmm. labels and what a portion is. Portion is more of a mental concept. Yeah. You know. Um, but ever since we talked last time, I went to a pasta uh, restaurant, ordered this great pasta meal, and this idea that you were saying you just need to be in tune to yourself. And normally I would just eat till I'm sick, then go be sick, <laughs> right. and then a half hour later be really hungry again. Right. But I, I noticed when I was full and stopped and actually still had really more than half of the meal left. Yeah. And I'm thinking – What's, wow, what's the purpose? How of many this? times have I pushed that whole thing down just to? How about how about this? I mean, I don't think I don't know if it'll ever happen, but what what about a restaurant that said, "Hey, we're we're going to go back in time." I mean, so you say you ate about half your meal and you were satisfied. Yeah. How would you have felt if you had only had to pay half? Oh yeah. Of what you were charged, and you were able to walk out. Totally. Now, th- that would have been a that, that's not a bad idea. You know, I don't know if it'll ever happen because the, we have kind of a. If some is good, more is better. Right. More, more calories for your dollar. More anything. Uh, that's kind of what our mindset is. But if we go back to this idea of a muffin, 210 calories 20 years ago. Today it's 500 calories. That's a 290 calorie difference. Now, how long would you have to spend some time doing chores yeah, around the house, like, like say vacuuming? Yeah. How long would you have to vacuum to burn those extra 290 calories? About an hour and thirty minutes. So maybe the <laughs> next a lot time, of so the next time you eat a muffin, Matt, you say, "Well, you know, it, it's going to take me two minutes to eat this muffin, but I got to spend the next ninety minutes vacuuming to make up the difference, the difference in calories." Now that's not how we behave. That's right. not how we think. That's certainly not, uh, you know, what we do on a day-to-day basis. So we're caught again in this food carnival where we overconsume, yet we don't compensate. Very well on the other end, yeah. which is the expenditure part. We don't work out more. We don't exercise more. We don't vacuum more. We don't garden more. We don't rake leaves more. Uh, we don't walk more. Mm-hmm. We, we, it's almost like we don't even see this as an exchange. You know, we just we think it's just a free for all. Just get as much in as you can. Right. But we're not managing the output or the actual the the healthy the other healthy side of it, which is the exercise. The right one of the, the portions. Yeah, one of the portion distortions. I'm very aware of is uh, soda. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I brought in a little can. This is the kinds you get in a hotel. I was at a conference and uh, they had these in the conference rooms where we were meeting, you know, as kind of an amenity so you could have as many of them as you want. But I've got here a, 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 a bottle, basically. It's made of aluminum, though, but it's Sprite. And uh, it's 8.5 ounces. I yeah. mean, you look at this and you say, that's cute. That is cute. You know, look wow. at that cute little wow, I bet can I could, bottle. I bet I could drink that in three swallows. Yeah. You know, you don't think of this anymore as a you know. Serving. This is a this is a quantity of soda that will satisfy. Yeah. Me. You think this will wet my whistle, and then what? Right. Well, a regular soda at a restaurant would be probably twenty four ounces. And what happens after you finish it? You're bloated and gassy. Well, and the, but the food server comes around. Yeah, you want a refill? Sees that you're three-fourths down, and they say, well, let me fill you back up. So, you know, and I remember, I'm, I'm 50 years old, so I'm not, like, old. But I remember as a boy 
uh, a young boy, soda was a rare treat. Mm-hmm. You know, and oh, yeah. in fact, we never actually had it like in our home. Right. It was like if you were out somewhere, uh, you know, and you know your dad or your mom would give you a you know a quarter or whatever. It you was remember back what? Then. Yeah, yeah. And you put the quarter in, and you open the little door, you know, yeah. and you pull, pull your glass bottle, bottle out. out, and you maybe got that once a week, you yeah. know, if you were lucky. Now, soda is for many. It's a staple in oh, their yeah. diet, and we're not drinking eight and a half ounces anymore. No, we're we're drinking thirty-two, sixty-four ounces, a half a gallon <laughs> of soda a day. And, and again, we're not even thinking about it. Now, how's that for a portion distortion? Well, and how it totally, and how how weird that. Oh, but the can is so cute. <laughs> so then, and some of this is just. I mean, that's eight point five ounces, but that makes they'll charge five dollars for that at a hotel. Yeah, and. The only reason they're cutting it back there is because they can make more money on it then. Yeah. So it's, it's weird. A lot of these decisions that are, are then placed in front of you, and if you're not conscientiously paying attention, you're just going to buy into it all. It's yeah. a better deal to get 32 ounces of fluid for this much than you know 12 ounces of fluid. If we're going for a deal, yeah. Oh, it yeah. might be worse for your heart. And we've been trained to look for the deal. That's yeah. for sure. Some restaurants now I've seen are doing you know any size for a dollar. Yeah. Yeah. You know, these kinds of things. So there's always a gimmick. And when you look at food marketing now, so I, I mean, this kind of gets us a little off track, but, uh, you know, it goes back to the individual and who's ultimately responsible. I'm not saying that you need to be paranoid or have some idea of, that there's a conspiracy out there. Uh, but I believe that, uh, you know, we, we don't necessarily need more government oversight and regulation but if they were going to regulate things, I think they could do a better job. In other words, I think there's a lack of accountability and mm-hmm. responsibility from the government side to the manufacturing side, you know, the food industry itself. Now, they may argue and say, no, 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 no. We, we have your health and, you know, it, 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 in mind. You know, you, you are, you know, something we're interested in. I don't believe that for a minute. You take a look at the budgets. Uh, I mean – the food marketing industry oh, spends yeah. billions yeah. annually on food marketing, and yet uh, federal and local governments spend millions right. on you know healthy eating campaigns and right. that kind of stuff. Right. It, it's just th- that's a distortion as well. Let's do this. Let's come back, and I know what you've got ready for us. Uh, Dr. Ron Hager has got six mostly subconscious decisions that can trigger overconsumption. He's going to walk us through some some subconscious decisions that we tend to make and the solution for how to fix some of them. You don't even know half of these are going on, I bet. You just you just pick up your plate and get going. Uh, we'll come back. More with Dr. Ron Hager right here on The Matt Townsend Show. back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us in studio, Dr. Ron Hager is here, Associate Professor of Exercise Sciences in the College of Life Sciences at Brigham Young University. He's helping us understand about uh, how to take better care of our own health and watch out for uh, portion distortion is one of the topics we've, we've talked about the last few weeks. Today, he's going to give us six 
subconscious decisions, just little things we do that may trigger our overconsumption. There are things we do every day. We don't even think about it. And yet it might it might be driving you to eat more. Ron, what are some of those uh, decisions we're making? Well, you know, for a lot of people, these are these are subconscious. I imagine there are people out there who are very aware of the things they eat and the things they do. Uh, but for the most part, I think people are not when it comes to eating. Uh, one of the big ones, and I've, I've recognized this in our own home, uh, people who keep food on their counter. Yeah. You know, so it's open, it's visible. Uh, and usually the kinds of foods that are out are the snack kinds right. of Right. You leave chips out at my house, yeah. it's over. Yeah. Those so, are gone. Yeah. So if you keep food on the counter – and by the way, I, I did come across a study that actually looked at this. Um, uh, people who keep a bowl of fruit on their counter – now, this is, you know, if you if you insist on having food on your counter, right. make, make it a bowl of fruit because people who keep fruit on their counter actually weigh, on average, seven pounds less than people who do not keep Interesting. fruit on their – a bowl of fruit on their counter. So, so if you're going to leave food on the counter, make it healthy food. Yeah, exactly. But in, in, in a, like, bananas, that's a serving. Eat yeah. a banana. Is, is, a, is a whole banana a yeah, serving? Yeah, yeah. Bananas, a banana is a serving, and most people think of a banana as a, as a you know, the package, the single yeah. banana as a portion. Instead of leaving out the donuts or the cookies or yeah, the treats. Or the, yeah, or, 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 yeah, or those kinds of things. Mm. So you are more likely to eat foods that you can see. Um, so what, one, one suggestion is to, you know, if you, have, if, if you do have high-calorie foods and high-fat and high-sugar foods, kind of the treats uh, – Keep them out of sight. Oh, yeah. You know, put them in, you know, maybe even change the container. You know, if it's— My wife has mastered this. If if it's just— She hides them. I mean, trust me, the the bags, the packages, even that is made to look enticing by those who are involved in the marketing of the products. They want to suck you in. Right. Um, So take it out. Put it in a generic container. We do this with our our breakfast cereals a lot of times at home, uh, partly because we buy the bigger boxes anyway. But but we transfer it into smaller containers. uh, And and it is less appealing, you know, when you don't have all the color and words and cartoon characters and everything else. Um, So those are some things that you can do. What about at work? Just the guy with the candy dish on his table. Right. right. So at work, it's it's really a problem. If you have a candy dish on your desk at work, and again, another study was done on this. Some now have soda fountains at their work. Yeah. Yeah. So if you have a candy dish on your desk and the candy's within reach, basically, uh, one study found that people were tended to consume 476 more calories per day. For people who did not have candy dishes or candy dishes on a coworker's desk, yeah, uh, where it was where where it was in reach, and get this, people who have candy dishes on their desk weigh an average of fifteen pounds more. Now that makes sense, right? You're totally. consuming an extra four hundred and seventy six calories. That's right. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know what to do. I it, I, I want to say. Well, maybe you could put some nuts or something in the dish because nuts are better for you, but they're also calorically dense. They're yeah. also, you know, a lot of calories. You just keep consuming. So nut, n- nuts are healthy for you, but in moderation. So the idea here is if it's within reach, you're going to nibble on it, snack on it all day long. Maybe you just need a water cooler on well, your desk. Well, I just said, hey, just take whatever's in your dish, take it out, and put, fill it full of thumbtacks. How about that? I mean, yeah. nobody's going to overconsume thumbtacks, <laughs> I don't think. Hope not. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, so the candy dish issue is is a big deal, uh, but here's a here's a really big one, and uh, and I've seen this probably more and more uh, than I ever had before, and that's uh, eating while you're watching TV yeah. or while you're watching a movie. See what happens, uh, Matt, is you become uh, distracted, and you don't even realize. And I'm not just talking about snack food, but I, you know there are people who you know they eat their meals. Yeah. 
when the TV is on or well, whatever. Well, hello, there's a TV tray. Yeah, exactly. Um, That's why they were invented. So no matter what you're watching, you can become distracted and it yeah. can lead to overconsumption. But I did come across a study that showed that uh, uh, what you're watching, particularly if it's an action movie, you tend to become more engrossed, uh, you know, more energized, yeah. and you tend to eat more. Interesting. So yeah. you got to keep up. Yeah, well, so, you know, you got to watch kind of the the romantic comedies or whatever. Maybe you'll eat less if you do that. Stay away from the action movies, I suppose. Well, maybe don't bring a bag of chips over to the movie. Right, you right. Know, to your, right. When you're watching a movie or right. you'll just but, but, consume but the, the whole but, bag. But the best thing is when you eat, don't do it in front of a screen. Now, when families eat together, came across a piece of research, when families eat together, there's a lot of stuff out there on this topic, but when families eat together, this one study uh, that I looked at, showed that children, no, no, when they eat together and the screen is off, that's what I'm talking about, yeah. the children eat more vegetables and fruits and less fried foods and sugary drinks. Really? So, so you know, you can, you can set a pattern. You can set an environment in your home, and it can translate, you know, to your children and potentially to their children. So these, these habits or traditions can be good or they can be bad. So you have to be aware of those kinds of things. That's what this is all about. This is about becoming... Aware, yeah. taking time to reflect and learn a little more about who you are, um, owning and owning it's your life, it's your it's your it's your health. Yeah. As, as we wrap up, talk about this one. I think this is such a big one: the oversized plates. Yeah, yeah. This is this is a, a problem because dishes can actually make a difference, and so plates, bowls, even cups or glasses have all gotten bigger uh, over time. Uh, you know, the, the you, you look at the dishes of 20 years ago, and we talked about food portion distortion, but there's there's other kinds of distortions too. Everything seems to have gotten bigger, <laughs> and and uh, when you have larger plates and bowls and those kinds of things, uh, people uh, one, one study showed that people tend to consume 16 percent more calories just by having a bigger plate. Yeah, yeah. So take just take your big plates and and get rid of them, sell them at a garage sale, donate them, whatever, and get some smaller plates. People tend to eat less when that's the case. And, and, and another study found that people tend to eat, now this is in the home, people tend to eat 90% of what's on their plate. Wow. So if you have a plate that's half the size and you're still eating 90%, well, then you're you're not going to eat as much. Um, that's amazing. Well, and, so, and again, some of this is just... How you were raised, the old, you know, in, you got to eat it because they're starving in Africa. Yeah, yeah. So you actually believe, okay, I better finish my plate. So it makes sense. Smaller plates help. And also just notice what your gut's telling you. Well, yeah. and uh, Just and, notice. And, and, of, and of course, uh, you know, there's more heart disease, diabetes, obesity, uh, and those kinds of things. Sure. In these places where we're told to eat to compensate for people who are starving elsewhere <laughs> who have no diabetes, heart disease, That's or right. obesity. Instead, let's just ship our diabetes over to them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. that, that won't even work either. Well, Ron, we appreciate you. This is really great insight. And um, again, wh- where can they go find that that PowerPoint? Well, the, well, the portion distortion, I, I don't know. The, it's a lengthy web link you know, or website, yeah. but uh, it, it's, a, it's a government kind of a thing. But you can just Google portion distortion and, and it will come up as one of the top probably five, five yeah. links on Google. So it's easy to find, but it's really fun to look at and try and become a little more aware of how little calories you're expending relative to how many more yeah. you tend to be consuming just because you're eating 
bigger pieces of food. So true. Good stuff. Dr. Ron Hager, we appreciate you again. Thanks. Uh, and your great work in the exercise sciences department at the College of Life Sciences at Brigham Young. We're going to take a break, come back, visit our buddies down at BYU Sports Nation, find out what's going to be on their show at the top of the hour. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're celebrating a wonderful holiday as we throw it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. What is the holiday? Name the holiday. Name this song. Is it National Flag Day? <laughs> no. Oh, so close. It's, I don't know. It's Coast Guard Day. It's Coast Guard Day. That's the Coast Guard fight song? Apparently... And you know Coast what? Coast Guard has a fight zone? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They fight all the time with those guys up in Alaska doing crab fishing. <laughs> it's their number one enemy. We, it's, it's their 225th birthday, Tuesday. But it's, it's their, they call today Coast Guard Day. Yeah. By the way, uh, I love the Coast Guard. I I do too. I just didn't know they had a fight song. Oh, for sure. Everybody has a fight song, man. I I thought this was the branch of uh, the military that I would join because I did not want to get shot. (laughs) But then I find out that these guys still protect the coast, right? So they could still get shot. And then I'm like, I guess I'll just go on an LDS mission then. (laughs) So the safe bet. The safe bet. How are you guys? Uh, what's you guys still doing everything today? You got a big show coming up. You you're still there. Do Brian's we have there. A big show coming up. You, big. you always do. Are you really asking us this question? Yes. Hey. Oh, by the way, before we go there, do you guys think a panda bear is smart enough to fake its own pregnancy? <laughs> what? What? Where did that come from? I don't uh, know. One, no. Yes, they are. Have you ever heard of Yuan Yuan? I have not heard of Yuan Yuan. Yuan Yuan, it's such it's it's a panda named Yuan Yuan, and Yuan Yuan's so great that they have to say Yuan twice. Yuan Yuan is an eleven-year-old giant panda that they thought was pregnant because she started acting like she was pregnant, like she wasn't eating. She was like, you know, eleven-year-olds could get pregnant. Yeah, eleven-year-old pandas can. Brian, and uh, so guess what they did? They moved this panda to a single apartment. Air-conditioned room, <laughs> round-the-clock care, and this as much—it's totally real—and as much bamboo and cake as she wanted to eat, and she started getting—you know—started gaining some weight, and then they went in and tested her, found out she was faking; she wasn't pregnant. Wow. Well, yeah, if she wanted to get all the bamboo and cake that she wanted and live in an air-conditioned room, who wouldn't do that? I would. By the way, they moved her to New York City from Taiwan. Uh, why didn't they check her first to see if she was pregnant before? Brian, have you ever checked a panda to see if they're pregnant? It's hard. I'm just saying, like... <laughs> it's really hard. I just feel like you should. they should have invested some time before yeah. investing some money. Yeah, now they've learned. But see, they didn't think that pandas would fake it. Yeah, but the, these, this panda's been faking pregnancy and, you know, smart panda. Just fake something next time. We, we should fake pregnancy, Spencer. Yeah. We want cake. You know what? I'd pay money to see that. 
<laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. Another little ditty brought to you by the Matt Townsend Show. So it's so try National to... Coast Guard Day. And Panda Happy Fake Pregnancy and, Day. And, yes, Fake Pregnancy so Day. So try to, try to top that on your show. Yeah. We could try to fit you, it in somewhere. You've <laughs> set the bar in an entirely different yeah. alien world stratosphere. Totally, totally. With, with those two We're at a completely different level, boys. Yes. I bet you got a great show. There are levels to this. But I bet your show is going to involve something about sports. That is a good projection on your end, Matt. <laughs> Thank you. Which is, again, why you're one of the leaders here at BYU That's right. Broadcasting. That's exactly right. Nothing gets past Nothing. You. Still trapped. <laughs> what is Okay. We released a bracket yesterday. Yeah. We seeded from 1 to 16 the top 16 plays within four years of BYU football independence. Okay, cool. This is a brand new BYU Sports Nation adventure. Like, we're, we're going to do brackets. Cool, cool. And I like it. we want the fans to choose. So we have pitted these plays against each other in this bracket. And so the eight winners will advance next Monday, and then it will go to four the Monday after that. And then the championship round, we will announce the winning play Mm. as voted on by the fans on August 31st. We want you to vote, Matt. So this is your invitation. Will you, Matt Townsend? I will. I will. Go now to BYUtv.org. Yes. And under the blog spot, it's the number one uh, section of the blogs on BYUtv.org's website. Uh Uh-huh. Will you go and vote on all eight of those plays? Yes, I'm doing Have it right your now. Say. Okay. Okay. You help decide which play is the greatest in BYU football independence. This I feel is like we should exciting. Have, like, drummers' music playing when we're discussing this. Or even just, we could probably throw up the music from the Coast Guard. Oh, yeah, you could do that. We'll throw that up okay. right now for you while you're. But you need, what's that instrument that they used to play in like the 1700s and early 1800s? The piccolo? Is it the piccolo? I don't know. Is it, is it the piccolo? I think it's the piccolo. The guy that's marching at the front of the... Oh, the, the fife. It's a fife. The fife. Yes, it's the fife. <laughs> There's an instrument called the pickle? No, it's a piccolo. <laughs> we need some fife music. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I think uh, Ben here is great on the fife. He plays a bass fife. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. I am so lost once again. <laughs> there we go. There we go, Matt. I just found some. Okay. I don't know if you're going to be able to hear this, but we're going to do it. Did it. The fife and drum music of the American Revolution. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> this is this. This is what we need when we're discussing the greatest plays. Absolutely. In BYU football independence. Can you hear it? Yeah. Isn't that, doesn't that just set that, the tone? Totally. Better? Totally. That's a lot of drum. That fife has like yet to come in yet. Where's the fife? I It'll need come the fife. In. Once once the. F- Here we go. There it is. Yes. Yes. <laughs> now the voicer. The greatest plays in BYU football independence. Doesn't that sound That's way a better? great commercial. That's a great commercial. And you know what? I love it when the, when you have the drop of the fife. Once that fife drops, it just changes everything. It's a better. Yeah, it kind of makes better. you patriotic though, doesn't totally. it? No, I'm on the page. This is great. We're already down to 8. Okay, so you got you're on the 8 versus 9 matchup. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> have, you noticed, have you noticed the titles of these plays? Yeah. Leap of Faith. Hook 'em, Leslie. Yeah. These are great. Look at the 8 9 matchup. Tell me what you think about eight, that one. 8 9. Let me go find that one. Hoffman, Circus Catch, or Mississippi Burning? <laughs> Jeez. That's good. Okay. This is going to be fun. Are you okay with the Mississippi it's, Burning moniker? Well, it's a little strong, but okay. it's good. It's good. This is great. Okay. What a fun game. So everybody can just go to BYU Radio, BYUtv.org. Look under blog. Boom. You're there.
Yeah, all we need, we're working on adding fife and drum music yeah, to for the sure. page so that when you vote on that, it pops up. Yeah, when in doubt, fife it out. That was my favorite <laughs> oh my bumper gosh. sticker. Oh my goodness. You guys got It's issues, really good. Man. Anything so really, that's, that's the discussion today. That's good. We're, we're asking fans right now to not just wait for it to be decided, but to, to send us their, their pick. Like, that's what's good. The, what's the best play in four years? In almost 1,800 days of BYU football independence, what is the greatest play that you've witnessed? Oh, this is good. And plus, when you get there, you can go watch every one of them and vote. It's really easy. You made it very simple. Well done. We like to do that. Well done. And you, you got your show. I got to let you go do it. I feel bad because yes. I always keep you hanging, and then you guys can't even go hey, get no, your hair and your makeup good. done. We're re- that's already all done. Is it? We You're spruced up before we talked to you. We and ready. take care of that before, uh, before cool. we go on with the one and only Matt Townsend. Well, you guys are the best. Hey, Gr- thank you, greatest sir. show on earth. We just, you know, when we grow up, we want to be just like you, Matt. You know what, Bri? Mm. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, it's never going to happen. <laughs> You're never going to want it once you oh, get Matt, there. Oh, Matt, we failed to mention, USA <laughs> Today National College Football Insider Dan Wolken also on the show. He wrote a nice article about Taysom Hill. He was a feature in the Sunday edition of the USA Today. Oh, again, you get name brand people. Well, we do. You're the big leagues. Okay, have a great day and happy, uh, happy. what's it called? Coast Guard Day. Thank you, sir. Yep. Good luck. Take care, Bri. Good stuff. Wow, that's way cool. I like how they edit on the fly. You see, he just picked up his own Fife music, played it off of his computer, and Ben's sitting here trying to look up the word Fife. Oh, well. Uh, hey, I wanted to do, uh, do a new hero today, a hero story. And this is a little different one uh, because this happens to be a multi-multi-billionaire um, that invented or created Facebook, one of the founders of Facebook. But Mark Zuckerberg and his um, girlfriend, Priscilla, they're having a baby, a baby. And they announced it on Facebook. And they're my hero not because they're having a baby. You know, that's not why they're my hero. They're my hero because they actually brought up a, a topic that I think is going to help a lot of people as they were announcing this. So in their announcement, they basically – this is what they said. He said – Mark said, we want to share – he just said, we've got a new baby coming, a new chapter in our lives. We've already been so fortunate uh, for the opportunity to touch people's lives around the world. And Priscilla is now, uh, she's a doctor, she's an educator, and now they've got this baby coming. But this is what he said. We want to share one experience to start. We've, uh, we've been trying to have a child for a couple of years, and we have had three miscarriages along the way. You feel so hopeful when you learn that you're going to have a child. You start imagining who they'll become and dreaming of hopes for their future. You start making plans, and then they're gone. It's a lonely experience. Most people don't discuss miscarriages because you worry your problems will distance you or reflect, uh, you, because you worry your problems will distance you or reflect upon you as you are defective or did something to cause this. So you struggle on your own. In today's open, connected world, discussing these issues doesn't distance us, it brings us together. It creates understanding and tolerance, it gives us hope. When we start talking to our friends, we realize how frequently this happened that many people we had, uh, that we knew had similar experiences and issues and that nearly all had healthy children after all. We hope that sharing our experience will give more people the same hope we felt and will help more people feel comfortable sharing their stories as well. Our good news is that our pregnancy is now far enough along that the risk of loss is very low and we are very hopeful. Scylla and our child are both healthy. I'm extremely excited to meet her and our dog Beast has no idea what's coming. Anyway, uh, so my hero of the day are the is Mark and Priscilla, um, and really Mark Zuckerberg, because 
you didn't have to mention that. And that's a very personal, private thing. But millions and millions of people are suffering from similar things, and um, they've never had a voice to talk about it. So if you're going to have a powerful voice and create something big like Facebook, you also may as well help enlighten and serve the world. So my heroes of the day, Mark Zuckerberg and his uh, girlfriend Priscilla, mother of his child. We'll take, uh, that's it. Man, show went fast. We're out of here. Till tomorrow, folks. Remember, we're here at 9 to noon Eastern time, trying to help you find the good in the world, and there is a lot of it. Go love the people that uh, you care about, and until tomorrow, make it a great one. <laughs>